Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 145. Um, thanks, as always, to La Petit Chocolat, uh, Tea Leaf Tea, and Yesty Boys. I had a chat with Freeman White. He is a painter, he's an artist. He lives in Hawke's Bay. I've known Freeman since I reckon he was about four or five years old. I went right through primary school and high school with him. Uh, I knew his older brother, I knew the family. Uh, I played in a band with Freeman for a little bit. Uh, and then he moved down to Wellington at some point and he's a guy that, you know, I think a lot of people in Wellington knew him. He was just someone I would not see for ages and then I'd bump into him and have a catch up in a yarn. And, uh, in my life and in, in my time knowing him I always knew him as someone who was good at art and interested in art um, then a few years ago he got he got really good at art and that he got really started to get noticed um, he won some awards he painted the portraits that are in the um, he was commissioned to paint the portraits that are in the movie uh, what we do in the shadows so all the portraiture work in there is, uh, is original paintings by Freeman he's a portraiture artist and a landscape artist and um, he moved back to Hawke's Bay he's lived, he's lived all around the world really he's lived in a few different places and but uh, for most of the last decade he's been back in Napier in Hawke's Bay and there's a thriving art scene there. And I'd wanted to talk to Freeman for a while because, uh, well, he's a, he's a mate and I'm uh, pleased for his success and interested in it because I know some of the journey but not all of it. And now now I know a whole lot more of the journey and, and you'll get to hear it too. It involves... Um, being a, a set painter and a worker on the um, the Hobbit movie and a, and a fairly unhappy experience there actually he talks about uh, and then as I mentioned that other um, great film work with uh, what we do in the shadows and he does a lot of commissioned work for city councils for for people that want private portraits done um, and he's out, he takes he's out and about in Hawke's Bay painting the whole time he's I think he's quite a prolific artist certainly a, a really a really great artist and um, you know we have you'll hear we have various connections along the way uh, to do with other people we know other friends who are artists and uh, and musicians and so forth and so this was a, a lovely conversation for me to have the sort of a conversation I probably wouldn't have ever got round to having with Freeman if it weren't for me doing a podcast now. So uh, I'm grateful for that. Um, and uh, I really hope you enjoy this. Uh, this is uh, Hawke's Bay-based uh, paint, painter, artist, Freeman White. I've known you just about your whole life. And mm. I'm trying to work out when I first met you. So I went right through school with your older brother. And so I, we, you know, you'll know, but when did you come to to Havelock and come to school did you start at that school yeah I started yeah, at Tomato yeah I was going to say because I went to Havelock Kindy so I yeah, mean we right. basically because it's funny though because when you're at school age one or two years age yeah. difference is a huge deal yeah, so yeah, you yeah. were always yeah. a couple of years older than me yeah. I think and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. basically well that's stayed the same I've always been you, and so. I've been trying to catch up my whole <laughs> yeah, life yeah and, yeah and don't school. do it man yeah <laughs> so but we really yeah we really kind of connected in late high school when uh, we ended up playing in a band that's right yeah. <laughs> and, um, that's, but, I'm, but I'm saying I, I've been aware of you yeah yeah we've been aware of each other pretty much whole life which is great and then you moved to Wellington at some point after school yeah I went overseas yeah. um, so seventh form year I completed early and then I went over to Germany did mm. an exchange there mm. um, which was great experience you know life changing experience mm. for a year over there and then after that I basically came back bummed around in Hawke's Bay for a bit and decided nah, you know there's not enough kind of going on I think mm. all the people that I knew in Hawke's Bay at that stage were sort of the people that hadn't gone to one of the cities mm. they just finished mm. school and 
got a flat on the beach and got whatever, you know, got a job. Around. Yeah, some of them had a job. There's always that seasonal kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. apple picking thing that yeah. goes on here. Um, it sort of felt culturally a little bit underwhelming. So, but I would bump into you, and I would bump into you in Wellington. I mean, we would go ages without seeing each other, but then I would bump into you, and we would have a lot of um, you know mutual friends or find out. You know, as happens, you find out. You know, I'm good mates with John McCleary, and then he's like, oh, oh okay, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah John's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, and then out of nowhere, something came up, and he's like, oh, you know, it was probably through seeing your work on Facebook, and he said something about Freeman, and I said. I went right through school with Freeman. Like, Classic. Well, you know, like, he's a good yeah. painter as well. Oh, of course. I mean, he's obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. better known as a musician yeah, the, yeah. in the spines, but yeah. he's actually a really talented painter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually met John, uh, not not working on The Hobbit, but he was working on yeah. The Hobbit as well. Yeah, yeah. But I had met him, I think actually, the old bodega yeah, years right. before then. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, you know, like awesome dude and easy to sit down have a beer talk about yeah, music, yeah. art whatever yeah you know? totally I mean he was telling me this crazy story about Tony Fomerson and you know, yeah he's got some like, he's got some good art well, music stories and some great art right. stories yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like yeah you're exactly right he's a guy who has connected with a lot of different people mm. um, been on the fringes of a lot of different scenes been involved in a lot of different stuff but yeah so we've you know and, and things like that keep coming up I've had several conversations over the years something will come up about your name and your work oh, do you know Freeman? Yes, right. I do. And, oh, yeah, well, I know him this way, rah, rah, rah. So a lot of people know you and your work. What I want to try and do is get a sense of, of what you do and why you do it and how you've gone about it. My memory of you mm. is that, and, you know, I remember going to your house when I was at school. There was art on the walls in your house. Uh, you were involved in doing art in school. Yeah. So take, let's, let's kind of go, let's start from the start. What, yeah. what about well, visual art? When did, when did you first connect with it? I mean, I've always been interested in drawing, but I think mm. more importantly than um, you can have an interest in something or even a talent, but uh, if, unless you're encouraged, you know, a lot of people probably won't end up following those paths. And mm. I, was, I was lucky enough that my mum was actually um, secretly wanted to be a professional mm. artist mm. and painted, she painted and drew. Um, so some of my earliest memories of, are of her drawing awesome saber-toothed tigers for me for my bedroom wall and stuff mm. like that you know and so um she was very encouraging and uh, it was one of those things like i actually had um a bit of trouble learning how to read believe it or not um although i spoke two languages we lived in france when i was a kid and i spoke fluent french and stuff went to school but i couldn't actually um learn to read or write um, very well for, for quite a few years and I think it's just mum latched on to the fact that I was really into drawing mm. and painting and mm. just encouraged me into that so it was always a really positive um, experience and sometimes a little bit of an escape from you know like early primary school I remember having to do a lot of reading recovery stuff mm. and actually getting in quite a lot of trouble with um with the deputy principal at the time because he didn't believe that yeah, I had Yeah, right, any... you're not trying, you're a... Yeah, I was a yeah, kid yeah. that he thought was being naughty and yeah. not trying. Yeah. Actually, there was some um, some blocks there that luckily, you know, a lot of practice and a lot of time and, and mum gave me a lot of extra help as well and mm. I love reading these days. Mm, I, mm. I probably can't read a, a... Like my older brother can read a, you know, 500-page novel in a, in, a, in a day and a night sort of thing. I mean, he's always been... Mm completely different to me in that respect um but you know um i love reading and i read regularly and um these days you know um not i'm not, I'm not shy to say it um i use spell check on my phone and stuff mm. like that mm. you know i mean it's weird though like sometimes i just can't 
for the life of me think how to spell the simplest of words but then you know more complicated words not a problem so mm. I don't know what it is they call it dyslexia yeah um, I certainly um, managed to overcome that to a large extent but I think that was really pivotal in my early yeah, yeah, yeah. exploration of yeah, visual yeah. art that you just connected with it this was a a thing that you could do you felt comfortable with you Absolutely. this is an expression yeah. so and it was always fun and positive yeah. you know mm. it felt like I was exploring stuff mm. learning and also obviously everyone sort of likes it when you get the um, respect of your peers or you know even the teachers that thought I was a little shit yeah, yeah. for like not being able to read yeah, yeah. Um, were still giving me positive feedback yeah. about that drawing yeah. that I'd done or you know yeah so yeah, it was definitely. I'm interested. I mean, you know, there's a there's a handful of people, and um, you'll know more than me with regard to this. But just in my in my sort of understanding, there's a handful of people I've known for right through school that have gone on to pursue art, stick with it, do well at it. And I'm thinking of yourself and Matt Cooper, who's previous podcast guest, and Regan Gentry. Regan, three, I was going to say. And the three obvious oh, yeah. names to me yeah. that all three of you have connected with it at a very early age and stuck to it like there's which which obviously makes sense you know <laughs> like, it's, but it's, but great, it's been yeah. your you know near obsession from early on in your life for all Absolutely. three of you and, and obviously in different ways but, yeah, yeah yeah I mean we're all um, definitely out there doing um, yeah. professionally working in, yeah. in the arts and yeah. I mean me and Matt are painting Regan's doing a lot more kind of 3D yeah, stuff yeah yeah sculpture and, always and, kind of thought and installments and yeah, yeah conceptual yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um, no I think it's really it's really interesting to see that I mean both Matt and Regan were in your year weren't they yeah yeah, so they're yeah. Like, I think it was technically two years older yeah. but one year ahead in school or something yeah, like that anyway yeah. um yeah i think you know it, it speaks actually volumes for the havelock north high school arts department yeah, believe true, it or not. True. i mean we yeah. had this most incredible faculty director roy dunningham yeah who's still an arts reviewer mm. and um lives in hawks bay and um he was a super super positive inspirational guy and i remember him doing stuff like he negotiated an arts budget um, the same size as the um, sports budget mm. for the school because, you know, the music, uh, the Havelock High First 15 were going off on, um, you yeah. know, around the country doing sports tours and stuff and he managed to negotiate a similar budget for the arts department. So um, we did do an arts trip to Wellington as well, which was really cool. And we went down and um, went to the Wellington Museum at that stage and saw all this amazing art. But also, we had he basically had a stock room full of art materials that we didn't have to pay for, that were covered mm. by our school fees. Mm, mm. And he used to do stuff like, he'd go, oh, you guys are into, he was really into jazz music yeah, as well. Yeah. And He's into a lot of good music. A lot of great music. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he, was a, he had really good taste. And he is really important in my life even though right. you know I flunked at art pretty quickly like yeah. I did it in fourth form and was shit at it but I liked the experience of trying it and I loved him as a teacher but he's important in my life for, for one main reason because he taught Phil Judd he, he did and he has he stayed connected to him in terms yep. of the music and my brother was half pie useful at art and followed right, it right through school yeah, and, yeah. and so he gave my brother a Chanel fence to tape and said, awesome. you, and said, you reminded me of Phil Judd. There was something in my brother's work. Well, cool, because he and told me that about was, Phil Judd as That well. was the connection, though. That is how I got, you know, I already knew Split Ends, but that has been awesome. a, 
a lifelong thing to me. So for that, yeah. he has. I mean, he was my cricket coach as well, Roy. Because the thing is, he you know he did actually love sport and was into it as well. It wasn't wow. this whole thing you're talking about? It, it wasn't coming from a place of fuck sport. It was just an equality. Oh no, not at all. He was. Uh, he it was, was just right an, yeah, yeah. It was just an equality no, thing. It was just like yeah. okay. I think yeah. If we can negotiate this budget, it's going to be really great. And yeah. you know, let's be honest. I think other schools in the in the area they may have caught up now, yeah. but um, it was quite, kind of a revolutionary way of looking at it. In some ways, I think maybe fine arts wasn't really considered as mm. a viable career choice for a sport, um, even music yeah. more so. Yeah. So, um, so was, I've talked to Phil Judd about Roy Dunningham. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so. Roy, I was obsessed with early splitting, yeah. learned to play the mandolin and stuff with yeah. Phil Judd. Right. And Roy actually gave me, and I've still got them somewhere, um, at my packed away at my dad's place, um, some really early artwork by Phil Jones. Wow. So I actually wow. own some of his fifth form wow. art Cherish that. that Roy had. Yeah, so I mean, they're safe. And you have to, when you find that, I've got to find show me that again. Oh yeah, man, yeah. I know, because um, no, I was seriously inspired by that. And yeah. the, you know, you bring up the name Phil Judd, who was obviously a really awesome early influence on me as well, because mm. he was effectively a realist painter. Mm, mm. You know, technically a great artist. Yeah, yeah. And His portraiture work Amazing. is incredible. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. And he was a very early influence on my mm, work. Mm. Um, but yeah, Roy, you know, he was taught by Rudolf Gopaz, who was kind of part of the, the um, European Expressionist School. And um, Roy went to art school down in Christchurch, the island. He knew um, people like Rita Angus. Uh, Philip Claremont, Tony yeah, Thomas. Yeah. I mean, he knew all these great yeah. artists that was we were reading about, writing about in, yeah. in school. He had a first-hand experience. He was with a the, direct yeah. connection to that yeah. kind of awesome yeah. 70s. Where I think sort of New Zealand art, you know, a lot of people talk about the 1950s and the Carnegie. For me, it got really exciting when, in the 70s when the music and the art scene sort of started to explode mm. and became quite sort of... I don't know, original expression, mm. obviously. Um, Even things like Hotary's collaboration with Bill Manhire and stuff, you know, there's that too, those cross-pollination things going on. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, for me, Claremont is a real standard. I was always a huge fan of Claremont's mm. work. And, um, you know, Roy would do stuff like, he'd go, okay, watch this video about Philip Claremont. And, you know, Claremont's stoned out of his brain and he's sitting in some Wellington flat or something. He's got these huge Hessian yeah. canvases draped over the walls, you know, that he's been feverishly attacking with the world painting. And so we're like, in sixth and seventh form, um, Roy was just like, watch this, then listen to this Hendrix tape that I've made you guys. Or like, who's the first guy that introduced me to John Coltrane, Miles Davis, Eric Dolphy, all that, you know, some quite abstract stuff mm, as well. Mm. Um, Dolphy, you know, out to lunch. And yeah, yeah. Like some amazing music. Um, and so he'd almost set the scene for us and he just go, go for it guys, you know, you don't have to worry about as much, you can use mm. as much oil paint as you like, mm. you know, and he had this back studio room that, um, he would let people that were into I mean yeah 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 in there yeah you know and he'd just be like just go for it guys so yeah. me and you know Dan Fulton who's, yes. who's, who's now a professional musician and sort of followed, followed his passion um he was really into art Dylan Farrison who's you know yep. successful designer um now has another guy um and you know that, that really was the catalyst for yeah us, yeah I was gonna to say that, that I remember like with Regan and Matt that you know being my year I remember that that room was like yeah, you remember that, it, eh? Remember, I remember when you talk about that back room, I remember, see, yeah, my connection with Roy was that 
you know, I, I actually at least brought along cool music to play because he was he like... He love that. So, you yeah. know, I, I, I remember being turned on to, you know, Coltrane's Love Supreme and, and bringing that along and him exactly. just... And him giving me an extra history lesson on it. Yeah. And, you know, he tolerated my incredibly bad artwork because yeah. I brought along cool tapes to play. And so, so we, you know, yeah. it was great. Like, he was a really important person for me. It never made me wish I was better at art or inspired me in, a, in an artistic way, but yeah. beyond the conversations around creativity. Yeah. yeah, I think he was really open to yeah. see the positivity or even something really great. He would have been able to gel with you so yeah. much about music. And yeah, I mean, so there you go, you know, super lucky to yeah. have a guy like that in my early formative years. Yeah. And the um, support. And you're saying my, some. My yeah, he, well. he obviously fostered it, but some other major talent in the school around you. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing too. Like, I used yeah. to look up to um, Regan and Matt as well. And, um, you know, those guys, like I said earlier, it's like one or two years age mm-hmm. difference back then is a huge deal, you know. Yeah, yeah, Nowadays, yeah. it's kind of like we're probably still, me and Matt Cooper have probably still never quite gotten over that age difference, to be yeah. completely honest. Yeah. Um, but he's overseas now, I haven't seen him for years. Yeah. He's producing great work. Um, yeah, no, it's really interesting. And then, you know, Regan and Matt were both, and myself, um, were all in Wellington as well. So it's right. Sort of yeah, yeah, part yeah. Of the art scene down there. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, well, Regan was working as a, um, a technician at Massey Art School, basically mm. making art for people that couldn't make it themselves. Yeah. Um, it, 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 almost in his own words, he told me that. I used yeah. to go and visit him there at the workshops because they had amazing workshop facilities um, and, you know, just knock up a few canvas panels or something whilst I was there. But, um, yeah, and then Matt got gallery representation quite early on, which yeah. I you know, was really good for his career. Yeah, um, with Yana. Yeah, yeah with Yana Land. I yeah. mean, she was one of the top mm. art dealers yeah, in yeah, Wellington yeah. and um, has yeah. now retired. But, yeah, yeah. you know, that was significant. Totally. So um, for me, it was a bit of a different story. I mean, I didn't really get my name on the map. I was always dedicated to my art mm. and believed in what I was doing, but I was painting in a more realistic style, and mm-hmm. I think that was something that was kind of not looked at particularly favourably in the art um, scene. Sure. Uh, well, in the dealer market at any rate at that yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it wasn't until I won the New Zealand Portrait Awards back in 2006. Yeah, I remember that being a that, really significant thing. Yeah, so that was huge for me yeah. because I hadn't managed to get a you know, reputable dealer at that stage. and. It really just put my name on the map, and mm. after that, you know, people started taking me seriously. Yeah, Even though yeah. I'd taken myself seriously. That's right, and you have the the great thing about that is it's kind of like um, in the old days when someone would have a hit record, it would be their third or fourth record. So right. it's kind of the equivalent for you. Like yeah. you, you actually had runs on the board in terms of this body of work. It sure. wasn't a surprise painting that won an award. Of course, you'd been at your craft for some time, and so sure, you had yeah. a back catalogue. That you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I was, it was good because I, I, I didn't, f- I mean, I felt a little bit of pressure, obviously, after doing that. Sure. Eyes on you now, yeah, what are yeah, you going to yeah. do? But like you say, I've sort of been working seriously for a long time, mm. um, producing portraits. And so it just felt like, wow, this is my break. I'm going to embrace well, this and, and let, do everything. Let's go back a step. You talk about a, an influential trip overseas after school yeah so I went to, to, to I did an AFS student exchange to Germany mm. so I spent a year living in Germany um, and in that time I actually painted a lot of work I also managed to travel to Amsterdam and Berlin Frankfurt and go to see some major art 
collect- yeah, galleries, yeah, yeah, collections yeah. of yeah. artwork that I'd obviously studied in art history. Yeah, and seeing the real thing that the you master- had yeah. learned about on some level. Yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, I always um, was very enthusiastic about art history and got great grades yeah. all through school and that. Um, yeah, so that was that was really exciting. And interesting enough, you know, good that you bring it up because, you know, I came back straight away from Germany um, and so that was 1997 I was there. So 98, I, w- I got into Elam School of Fine Arts. So I went straight from overseas Europe, AFU Student Exchange, seeing all this, you know, learning another language, seeing all this incredible artwork. Um, I even got to, actually, I also got to Rome and Florence in that time as well. Mm. So I really, you know, I got to see some amazing, amazing work, Renaissance paintings and um yeah, and then I got back to Elam School of Fine Arts, which was, you know, actually pretty backwards for me. Mm. I, I'd seen um, exhibitions over in Europe of living painters as well that were producing great work. So I came back to this mentality that painting was dead. So I went to Elam because um, basically it had a good reputation in New Zealand and because I got in. But then they systematically tried, well, my tutors there, who um, I had this guy, John Nickel, who I still um, feel very um, a- angry with, actually. For this is a common story. Uh, I've noticed this when I talk to um, actually, yeah, Matt like, and when I talk to right. Marie Lalieve, they've, they've got people in their life that, you know, they've achieved some level and there's a tutor that's knocked them down in some way yeah, or, or not gelled with them. Shut me down. Yeah. You know, yeah. he was the head of first year faculty yeah. at Elam. And he used to say stupid things to me like paintings dead and portraiture has no meaning within the context of contemporary art and stuff like that. And you know, for, I will say this now, and I don't care if he's listening because he really yeah. did. Um, like, he had no right to knock that out of yeah, me. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a passionate realist painter and, and I believe in myself 100%. And now, you know, because I stuck to my guns, yep. this is why I'm experiencing whatever success I am now. Yep. It's because I didn't listen to that guy. So I guess yep. in a way I should thank him. Look, I, I, you know, for, I understand like that. Like a school of hard knocks out there in the totally. real world. And you're going to get people that don't like your work. But to basically get a, a student that you can see is has... has you know, gone a long, a long mm. way in terms of developing um, their technique and stuff, and to try and completely shut them down and stop them painting. So I'm just not interested in any other yeah. form of art making as much as I am in painting. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, for me, actually, I regret that um, I went to Elam um, at the wrong time, I guess. But if I had only known, like these days with um, social media, Instagram um, is, has been a real influence on mm. me mm. in terms of exposing me to what's actually happening in the real like in the international yeah. art scene yeah yeah so you've got all these amazing academies now that you can go to like the Florence Academy of Art in, in Florence for example which teaches the effectively traditional atelier system you start drawing from casts then you move on to long post figure drawing then you move on to painting you know and the course is about four years but it's really about developing technical proficiency and mm. um, process um, so that when I went to Elam, the craft, craft was a dirty word, you know? The yeah. people used to bandy about, like John Nichol used to talk about craft with this element of disdain yeah. um, in his voice about, you know, being actually good at drawing and things like that, which I just, you know, I look back on. And at the time, I really felt like it was bullshit as well. Hey, I was four or five weeks into journalism school when I got pulled aside and told, um, you need to stop thinking about review writing because we cover it for one day. And then, we, and then we move on and you need to because they'd found out that I was writing 
CD reviews in my spare time for New Zealand Musician Magazine or something like that, and they're like, we think this is going to be a real hindrance. We it's going to be a real problem for you, It's going to be a real problem for you, and you're never going to get anywhere doing it. Now, yeah. on, on the one hand, they were kind of arguably right, but on the other hand, it was like, fuck you. So I walked out of the school and started wow. writing reviews, and yeah. I thank them for that. Well, I, so I, 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 I totally year. understand what you're saying. It's yeah. the same sort of thing. It is. It's very similar. Mm. And it's, like, it's ironic now because, mm. you know, you're sitting here, you're probably one of the country's most... Um, respected music reviewers yet at that time they didn't your tutors didn't have the foresight to see that mm. now it's interesting to me because I mean this is probably going to ruffle a few feathers but I reckon every, almost all of my tutors at art school were there because they couldn't survive as an artist they couldn't actually make a career yeah, so as an artist was, because a paid job. effectively they were producing work that nobody really wanted to yep. buy or look at yep. I mean, stuff that they were overthinking and under and, and under um, yep. uh I don't know, like the quality just wasn't there. Yeah, know. yeah. But so that's why they had to sort of um, their crutch was being a tutor, and, and I think you know in the case of this guy John, he was probably slightly pissed off that his career had well, ended up you know, the, being a teacher. The older adages, those that do do and those that yeah. fail teach or whatever, and and, yeah. and as annoying as that is, particularly to you know actual general school teachers who I think provide a really important function, there is an element of truth to it in terms of specialty schools like art school and stuff yeah. they, they can only be run by a person who has some technical ability I think what I wanted was for, to have people lead by example yes. and unfortunately for me at the time um, that wasn't what that I got yeah. so much like yourself mm. I mean I was too proud to just walk out of there so I did um, first year I think I ended up with you know A pluses in art history and A minuses in um Art practical, so I ended up getting good grades, and I was mm. actually quite upset about that too because art history was something that was comparatively quantifiable and easy. Mm. Um, yet, you know, when I questioned them why can't I get um, A pluses for art practical, they said that nobody gets A pluses for art practical because <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. you can't measure it. And I thought, well, you know, it's first year, man, it's yeah. like surely there's an expected level of proficiency mm. that you could, you know, measure, but mm. at any rate, um. So it's not like I walked out in disgust with awful grades and stuff like that. I did have to kind of fight a little bit because I got C- minus for my year project and I had it remarked and stuff. I was really livid about that. Um, and it went from a C-, C- minus up to an A-. So, you know, that was there was a personal bias there because I, I mm. had a big fight with my head of department, you know. So, um, yeah, that was all a bit unpleasant. But at any rate, like, I, I left there, and I kind of just wished that at the time I'd known that there were other... For me, I thought art school sucked. I thought, stuff art school, yeah. I'm going to go and paint and draw and learn how to paint on my own back and travel in Europe and, and go and look at great paintings because that's what moves me, yeah. you know? And actually, at the same time, there were great art schools in different countries that would have suited would have been amazing for me to do because mm. now I'm aware of them but I've got kids and I've got a mortgage and I'm not saying that I won't be able to go over and do a like intensive six week course at the Florence Academy which is something that I dream of doing and mm. I, I really want to do that um, but for me to actually uproot now and do a four year course it's going to be very difficult yeah um, so yeah so anyway so it's sort of like that, that New Zealand mentality of we've always had the she'll be right kind of attitude of mm. well if I can't learn it here I'll just damn well do it myself mm. you know so there's I guess there's been a lot of that with me mm. locking myself away in studios for years making mistakes hopefully learning from them you know producing work that I believed in and ultimately um, I guess you know like being able to 
make a living out of it. And, yeah, yeah. But it, it, I wasn't making a living out of it until the Portrait Awards thing. Was yeah, so that's pivot. the significant yeah. um, moment in terms of, as you say, it puts you on the map. Like, yeah. and, and awards, whatever people think of awards, awards tend to do that in certain categories in particular, like the visual art medium. Like, that is an, a major recognition to win a significant award. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me... It's, it's such a huge field. It just gives people... It narrows people's focus to say, okay, what about this person or this artwork mm. made it win an award? And then they go, and as I say, and in your case, and in most people's case that win an art award, there is a back catalogue there. Yeah. You know, it isn't like a, a first book or a runaway hit single with no, mm. nothing in behind. It's more like the person that's toiled away for a while. So Yeah, I think that's that's good. I mean, it's good if you if you can get that. It, it does come down to the selectors or the of judges course, as well course. a lot. And I was very lucky, actually, when I was awarded that. It's called the Adam Portrait Awards mm. through the New Zealand Portrait Gallery. So that it's an acquisitional award as well. So, I mean, A, I think I've won 15 grand. It might have gone up to 20 now, but that was a huge amount of money for yeah, me at yeah, the time. Yeah. It's like on the, you know, living off the smell of an oily rag and 26 years old. And I mean, actually the story goes, I could probably go into it a little bit because I had just graduated from art school. So I went from Elam, I went and got a scholarship to go to the Learning Connection in Wellington. So mm -hmm. I transferred uh, um, down there quite a different type of art school. It was sort of more self-directed, but more, I guess you could say it was a bit of a happy kind of holistic philosophy. Yeah. Anyway, so I did one year there, met Sandro Kopp, who's an amazing mate of mine, who's a very successful painter, lives in Europe now, um, and I'm regularly in contact with him, so that was really pivotal as well. Ended up getting offered a full-time teaching position at the Learning Connection after, at the age of 26, mm. I think I was 25, I graduated with a really good salary and everything, mm. so, but I, I didn't, you know, my experiences at Elam had sort of made me think, I don't really want to be a teacher. Yeah, I'm I don't a, want to become what I'm not I, ready. I don't want to become what I've resented. Yeah, just well, I just resented. felt like I wasn't ready. Right, um, yeah. You know, I wasn't actually finished in my growth. Yeah. I'm still not, you know, so I'm not ready to be yeah. a teacher yet. Yeah. I've still got a lot of growth in my own practice that I want to experience, and I need full-time you know I need to mm. concentrate on it full-time I can't really dedicate as much time to um, to teaching um, so anyway that's fine and and so I kind of turned them down like and a lot of people thought you're crazy I think it was like 45 grand a thousand dollars salary a year mm -hmm. and you know at that time that was good money really mm -hmm. good money um, you know people are saying well you could work for a few years and put a deposit on a house and do all that and I just thought you know I just can't take the risk of not following my passion now so long long story short I cut back my hours cut 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 back until I was only doing block weeks or um, weekend courses at the start and end of term which was just enough money to kind of yeah yeah to prop up prop, prop yourself up, up and, and, and all was, this time to explore exactly yeah and um, basically I got to the point where I just thought no I can't even do this I can't even do these block weekends and, and I quit completely mm. and two weeks after that I won the New Zealand Portrait. So that was <laughs> that's you know, the sign, right? Timing was <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I never looked back. Yeah. Um, so that was amazing. I got a, a painting in the permanent collection of the New Zealand Portrait Gallery, which have, they've actually been great patrons of mine since. And, and I've done a number of commissions, which are in yeah. the gallery collection, including um, portraits, which I did for what we do in the shadows, Tycoon and Jermaine. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that yeah, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It's a really interesting project, mm, actually. Mm. Um, and the portrait gallery ended up acquiring two of those paintings, which is great because they're in the collection. Yep. They're, they're safe, you know, they're there. Um, and then I got a um, an artist in residency. So the, the 
the judge for the year that I won was the director of the Scottish National Portrait Gallery, a guy called James Holloway, who happened to be, in stark contrast to my <laughs> tutors at Elam, a total authority um, on, on European portrait painting and a, and a huge fan of realist painting. Like he, he was a, an encyclopedic knowledge of portraiture and the development of portraiture in Europe. Mm. So an amazing, amazing guy. To, I spent quite a lot of time with him discussing where he thought painting was going and um, so really insightful so he invited me over to Edinburgh where I lived for about eight months as a portrait painter and um, got commissions through the, well basically through his recommendation mm. which was massive um, I got also a super exciting time for me I got to go back in the, behind the scenes in the Scottish National Portrait Gallery so and the um, Scottish National Gallery's restoration workshops and stuff and I had this I remember like I've now I've, I've actually literally held about 200 Rembrandt etchings I've mm. they wouldn't let me hold the um, Leonardo da Vinci drawings but I got to look at them with a you know um, like super up close and like uh, from yeah, they had to hold those ones for me. Yeah, but yeah, 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 um, yeah. Alan Ramsey drawings, like you got access to all the stuff that maybe the public possibly wouldn't. Um, I had this incredible experience once where I went to meet with Jacqueline Ridge, who was the head of restoration workshops mm. in the Scottish National Galleries. And I walked down into the restoration workshops, which are under the Dean Gallery and um, the Museum of Modern Art, actually, funnily enough, in Edinburgh. Um, and I just dumbstruck like there in the restoration workshop sitting on an easel out of its frame is a William Turner oil painting so I don't know if mm, you know mm, about Turner but mm -hmm. he was he's one of the high, most highly respected um, landscape painters of um, last century and um, just an absolutely amazing I mean his pri work, work is mm. absolutely priceless mm. like up until then I'd only ever seen I mean I've actually handled a couple of his watercolours because they have them in the prints and drawings library in Edinburgh but um, seeing one of his oil paintings and like I've only ever seen them they're usually up high on the wall in the gallery you know ornate gilt frame sort of this slightly unattainable like mm -hmm. the masterworks you know so so they're, they're almost like you look at them um and there's plenty of paintings that i feel this way about too but you kind of look at them in awe and think wow you know i mean how did they how did he produce this so they're sitting on an easel just like a normal painter's easel crank easel as a as a, a, an early turner and jacqueline so i exclaimed you know oh my god that's a turner she goes yeah we haven't cleaned it yet would you like to touch it you know, it's just like, yeah, I would. So, obviously, I'm very careful, but I ran my fingers, without gloves even, because they hadn't cleaned it, across the face of this priceless Turner oil painting, this masterwork, you know. And in that moment, it was just a painting sitting on an easel, mm. you know, and it broke down that barrier. And I'm not saying that I can paint like Turner at all, but at that moment, it took all the stigma away from it, broke down Yeah, this barrier. could be anyone's. It could be anyone. And, yeah. and I've sort of had this momentary feeling of like, mm. Turner stood in front of an easel just like this when he was painting this painting and painted it. And it was an epiphany for me. It just, it, I don't know, it's hard to put into words, but you mm. can kind of imagine, mm. um, just broke down all those barriers, you know? Um, so I had experiences like that that I'm super, super grateful mm, for, even mm. to this day, and that were a direct result of not only me being awarded that prize, but the judge at the time being the director of the Scottish National yes, Portrait Gallery, yes. going over there. Like that whole experience just opened up all these amazing doors mm, for me, Simon, that mm. wouldn't have happened or could have quite easily not happened. So, um, 
yeah, so I, I, I sort of feel super lucky about that. Mm, mm. And so, okay, so you're still in Wellington primarily at this point. That's right, yeah, and so you, go back to Wellington. Yeah, so you're lurking around in Wellington, you're painting. I would bump into you occasionally in the street, in a bar, at a gig, yeah. various places, and I followed your work and knew what you were up to, and a lot of people started yeah, connecting with your work from that 2006, seven point onwards, as you say, like that's, yeah. it really puts you on the map. It's the beginning of something really mm. significant and it's why you're where you are now. So what, what's the next big thing that happens or what's the next significant move for you? Uh, well, I guess after that, because after doing the artisan residency um, through the Scottish National Portrait mm. Gallery, that was also a really kind of good thing, which um, interestingly enough opened up some doors in America. So after that, I did, um, and Germany, so I did an artisan residency after, directly after I was in Edinburgh mm. in Germany for three months, where I was artisan residence on a amazing winery um, in the Mosul Valley, which produced Riesling wine and it was just I mean breathtaking kind of scenery the Mosul was very close to Belgium and Luxembourg and the French border so mm. it's a yeah classic wine producing region and just beautiful you know you've got all these abbey ruins and castle ruins on the hilltops and I wasn't really into outdoor painting then which is the weird thing so I go out sketching but then I, mm. I produce work in, yeah. um, in the studio setup that they had for me there during the day and I had a little exhibition and it was just an amazing time you know for me and drank some great wine and yeah. met some great people and did all that and um, and then after that so I came back to Wellington um, then I met an American guy called Eric Hollowaz who was actually then the director of the um, Toy Porniki Art Studios, mm -hmm. which were council-funded artist studios. I never had a studio in there, but they used to have regular exhibitions, and it was a bit of a place, you know, that we'd go to and, and drink a glass of wine and shoot the shit, you know, talk art, whatever. Um, and so Eric said, oh, man, you've done this great stuff. You've been in, in Scotland and Germany, and um, I'm going after this. So he, he retired, or he stood down after the... Toy Porniki Studios were all set up and everything and he contacted me and I, he said look I've got the position where I'm the director of the studios of Key West in Key West Florida and you'll have to get your way over here but I want to offer you the experience or the opportunity to come and paint with us and, and you know have a studio in Key West for um, five weeks because they run an international artist residency program there. So that was that was also a really amazing experience for me. And I went over to Key West, which is a hotbed for debauchery, mm. mate. Like mm. I tell you, you think you go to this little tropical island, but man, it was you know, so I had some pretty outrageous experiences there, like getting drunk and ending up in, in you know, like this cabaret bar with all these trannies <laughs> yep. drawing portraits of them and yep. you know, just stuff that you know, I guess it's not relatively innocent. You know, I never really got in trouble or anything, but I still mm. look back on that time and I was like, man, that's pretty loose and I was having great fun and, mm. and I didn't have any real responsibilities. I knew that it was good for my career being there. I produced a lot of work whilst I was there as well. I had a lot of fun and, you know, it's these kind of experiences that just shape you as an artist, mm. you know, as a person. Mm, mm. I saw so much incredible live music when I was there. So, like, there's this bar called The Green Parrot which apparently is voted in, in Playboy magazine of all things, and not that I read the review, but it's one of the top bars in, in the world. Mm. Now, it didn't matter if it was Monday or, or Sunday, they had, a live, they had live music there. So 
the caliber of live music that I discovered over in Key West was just next level. I mean, you're in the States, you know, you've got, um, it just seems like the level of musicianship was just mind boggling for me. And, mm. you know, I could go down to this local saloon bar and for free and hear, you know, these um, big bands from Louisiana and stuff would come up and, it just you know that that was a really incredible experience I, I spent a lot of time just going around these different bars and mm. listening to all the music um and yeah you know I like I've always had the intention of actually wanting to go back there and I made some lasting friendships whilst I was there as well actually people I'm still in touch with um now Eric's back actually uh, ironically he went from there to Sedona Arts Centre and um he went and worked in South Australia as well and set up some arts initiatives over there and residency programs and now he's actually the acting director of the Fakatane Arts Museum so um, I'm planning on catching up with Eric soon and they were actually putting together a, um, a resident, an arts residency program in Fakatane as well so yeah you know everywhere you go and you have these experiences mm. and you change as an artist and you kind of feel and you know I'm the sort of person that when I meet great people I love to stay in touch mm. so yeah I mean I've always everywhere I've gone like that I have the intention of going back but yeah, yeah. you know yeah, sometimes yeah. like and I, know, I firmly believe that I will mm. but it sort of feels like one thing leads to another and then um, well the great thing with the kind of work you're doing is that as established as you are you're fairly young in your career in a way too you know you're you're established you've done a lot but oh, I like the sound of that Simon. I mean that I mean you that good, but you've got you've got loads more you of time to do what you're doing that's what I mean I think like for me um things have been like that whole Scottish um experience was actually also um financially very rewarding for me because I um not only was I getting high-end portrait commissions and working as a professional portrait painter in Edinburgh where they have a very long-standing and yeah. rich history in portraiture yeah. and the class system is, is closely related to that. Yes. At the time that I was there, the exchange rate was so favourable to the New Zealand dollar um, that one pound would buy three New Zealand dollars. Three New Zealand dollars. So I actually came back, I saved some money when I was there and I did about five or six major commissions whilst I was there. And I saved that money because I've always had this kind of sense of, I know I don't have a stable income, I'm an artist. I was really, yeah. really poor. You need a rainy day fund. <laughs> I needed yeah. a rainy day. Yeah. So I'd never taken that side of things for granted. Mm. And I was able to generate a little bit of money, which ultimately ended up being the deposit, um, although I'd dip into it here and there when I needed it. Um, I never just blew it, you know? Mm. And, and so I was super careful about where I put that money. I just sat it in, a, in an account that I couldn't touch for about three years. And um, ended up being able to buy an old house up here in Napier, which, yeah. which has proven to be um, a really good thing for me because... Um, so I saw that, I mean, I remember when you bought that and I remember seeing the, the images of it, but obviously Facebook does this annoying and wonderful thing of sharing memories and stuff. Yeah. So I, I saw the, the photo just the other day. It came of, up again just came the other up day. Just exactly yeah. of, of yeah. when you bought, or just before you bought it, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, it was actually. Um, before you owned it. But, you know, it's it's fair to say this house is what you'd call a dunger. Like, it was a so major doer-upper. It, it was really, so run down. It man. was basically falling to bits. Yeah. Well, interesting was, enough, like, it's an old villa, mm. 1903, and the build quality back then um, was, was actually really, really 
really good. Yeah, so, cosmetically though, you know. Oh no, bits of it were falling right. to pieces, and yeah. you know, definitely like the whole veranda and yeah. and the um, I've had to um, do a lot of work. I, mm. I think at one stage I was almost beside myself. I just enough more than you can chew. There were moments of that. Yeah. Like there was one stage where basically I had no floor in the back of the house. <laughs> there was just bare um, earth. Yeah. Um, when decided the builder was like, nah, mate, we're going to have to demolish this whole back wall and rebuild it because it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's rotten. There's been water damage through the walls. I don't know. Um, the guttering had obviously been stuffed for many years. And, you know, you start, you scrape behind, beneath the surface. And there were a few major, major things. And, I mean, luckily, I've, I've done a lot of it, but I've always had builders there to help me with mm. anything that's, um, you know, beyond me and learned a hell of a lot doing that. And actually love it, man. I love, But I love doing the finishing stuff. I love like the set dressing or doing the carpentry and putting up the architraves and painting the wall. You know, like I love all that stuff, but you have to do a lot of hard grunt work when you buy into an old house mm -hmm. like that. So I was really lucky because the, the house itself, um, and now it's it's beautiful. Yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's beautifully yeah. restored. Yeah. It's an awesome family home. Yeah. I've been able to do stuff like put in. And you have a family. And, and a, now, I've got, yeah, 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 now yeah. I have two so the, children. Again, the timing is timing being great. wonderful. Yeah. 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 And so, and I may, managed to do most of the renovation work on that house, mm. um, get it up to a pretty good living standard before the kids yeah. came along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which has actually in turn now freed me up um, to really focus on what I need to be doing which is painting you know so like I'm kind of lucky in that my my partner Lucy she's a really dedicated mum she's an amazing mother she's given up a lot to be that mother she was she had a successful career as a fashion designer worked for Karen Walker for years had her own fashion label you know when I met her she how she, did you guys meet well we actually met here in Napier yeah at, at an exhibition opening funny funny enough because her sister um, is is an artist as well I mean she was just working in a local cafe and organized a little exhibition and um, uh, Lucy's sister Nina and asked me if I wanted to be part of it and it was kind of like a pop-up gallery thing yeah. I thought yeah why not you know I'll put something in and um, yeah, it was great. I turned up to the opening and I was single at that stage and and I saw this woman there, you know, tall, blonde, and she's like standing there wearing, she was actually wearing this kind of really funky leopard print dress and heels and stuff. And um, I was immediately attracted to her, you know, and then I thought, ah, oh, you know, around here in Hawke's Bay, she's probably got a couple of kids and whatever. And I yeah. started talking to her and then, and she just sort of went, Oh, so you did this painting. I think it's amazing. And we just kind of connected. I, obviously, I reacted well to the compliment. <laughs> well, at least she likes my art, and maybe I'm in for a chance. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, we're basically inseparable from then. And now, yeah. you know, looking back on that, and we've got two beautiful daughters yeah. together, and um, we're living here. And, you know, she's also been super supportive of me mm. following my career as an artist. And, you know, I'm lucky now that I'm at the stage where I am the sole breadwinner, but because of certain things like buying that house when I did and being able to slowly kind of do it up, um, we're able to survive, you know, yeah. we're able to do that. So but you say, you know, she, she um, worked in fashion and been a designer, so she, she's an artist. You she, know? Absolutely. So she, yeah. she understands creativity, so she, she not only appreciates your, your work in terms of the, the outcome of it, from going back to that moment when you guys met, yeah. but she 
understands the process that's required that yeah. you know on, on some level the the dedication to it and so that's what how she can be fully supportive right she, yeah i mean she she's gets also, it on a she level. totally gets it but you know yeah. what like she's given up all of that um for the last sort of two and a half years i mean our, our eldest daughter millie is two and a half years old now and um we had our second daughter quite soon after there's yeah. like not much but there's 18 month um, age gap so you know like my respect goes out to parents out there because mm. that's really hard man mm. you know I mean um, just how different it is when you add a second child into the mix and you know I think both of us were really taken by surprise of that and we're super lucky because our girls are beautiful and healthy and um, absolutely full on and you know wouldn't really have it any other way but yeah, yeah. it's been a lot for her and I think she's now Bella's like nine and a half months old I think Lucy's now at the stage where she's like I love being a mum but wouldn't it be awesome yeah, to be yeah. able to get back time into, to get back into some to do stuff. some stuff yeah so I think that's on the horizon yeah and, of course um, you know, if it was the other way around and she was the sole breadwinner and I was a stay-at-home dad and I had to give up everything, you know, my career, and I, I, I would have had a hard time doing that, you mm. know. So, um, yeah, so full respect to her. And yeah. I think I'm super lucky in that sense that yeah, yeah. she was like, well, I want to be a mother and I want to dedicate myself to it 110%, you know, if you can support us doing that, that's what I want to do. And so we're really, you know, lucky like that. Yeah, actually. yeah, that, yeah. It's worked yeah. for us and yeah. it's continuing to work. Well, that's the only way that it can happen is it has to, you know, we all make compromises and stuff with, with, with bringing kids into the world yeah. or just, just yeah. you know, with, with getting by or paying, paying paying the rent or the mortgage or whatever. Yeah. We, we all make compromises, but you, you know, it sounds like, yeah, that's that's been about as good as it can be for you guys well it's been lucky man because you know I know that and everyone listening to this if they're in New Zealand they're probably aware that the housing market is really really difficult at the moment house prices have tripled if not Mm. quadrupled in some areas Um, rentals just can rental costs keep going up so there's a lot of people leaving the cities we're getting in Napier um, the the flow on effect of the Auckland housing crisis effectively Mm. is that in a bubble it's happening here now so I managed to just miss that whole crazy madness get this crazy mm. old house that nobody else wanted to buy because it looked like yeah. it was falling down <laughs> like haunted house on the hill kind of thing fix it all up now it's in an awesome area beautiful house you know and people are like man how the hell did you afford that and it's like well yeah. I was lucky yeah. but I put in a whole lot of hard work and I just managed to get it's a nice timing, little it's a nice little metaphor for the artist's eye though too isn't it you're seeing something oh, I saw the potential you saw, in it straight you're seeing away. something that yeah. other people don't see and totally. then you take the time and apply your skills and put it there and then suddenly everyone can appreciate it yeah well I've lived in so many rundown, dodgy old studios in Wellington over mm-hmm. the years I, sort of thought, I remember going to your I've got this distinct memory of the place you were living in and going to it one night and um, I can't actually recall the street now but when Either I street, yes, right? yeah, yeah, I was just going to say when I walk down yeah. there I always look up at that yeah. and go Fuck, and I mean, it hasn't yeah. really changed. No, like, that's the thing. I see people lurking outside at smoking their durries and joints yeah. and whatever, and I always think, Fuck, I had a couple of nights up there. And I'm oh, like, we had some I'm good times. Sure. We used to do gigs up yeah, there as yeah, well, yeah, and, totally. uh, and they shot um, quite a few film projects, including yeah. some music videos. Yeah. Like Jess Chambers shot a really awesome music yeah. video up there, and yeah. my ex um, partner, Johanna Minster, or Joanna the Tyra um, Minster, she went by the um, stage name of of Johanna Mystery mm. and you know she's a musician as well mm. um, so after I left um, 
moved back up here and the relationship you know um, ended whatever um, like we still stayed on pretty good terms but she kept that studio so it sort right. of went yeah, on from yeah. me having it for about seven yeah. years to her living there and using it as a music yeah. studio predominantly for yeah. another four or five years but now it got earthquake stickered because mm. it's an old mm. Victorian red brick building mm. awesome right in the middle of Wellington you know just off Cuba Strip unbelievable spot and actually probably one of the best studios I'll ever have had in my life because yeah. it was, it was you know, good size, right in the middle of town, great natural light. You know, I ticked all the boxes except for parking. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's pretty sad because I, I've actually been in touch with the landlord. I, I always had this fantasy of owning Going back that, buying, owning buying it, it yeah, you know, yeah. and doing it up and just mm. kind of keeping it similar but maybe making it a little mm. bit more insulated or something. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, no, nah, we're going to knock it down and, and it's probably just going to end up being a car park. Yeah, you know, and that's what not it's the way of the world. It's at the just moment, a lot it? of that yeah. is happening yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, in Napier, we've lost since I've been living here for almost eight years now. I've seen at least five or six pre-earthquake wow. buildings, so yeah. pre-Art Deco buildings, which aren't protected by the um, Art Deco Trust heritage listing that they have here, mm. which is a local body thing. It's not a national um, thing at all, but they kick up a huge stink if you want to knock down a Deco mm. building. And in some cases, um, people have got around it by basically keeping the facade and building an entirely new building. I mean, that's happening some place in Wellington. Mm. Ironically, it's actually the facades that are probably the most dangerous thing in an earthquake. But um, yeah, um, so I don't know, we could get into that. Uh, for me, it's just skin deep, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and actually it's all the fixtures and fittings, the, bes the, the bespoke um, uh, architectural hardware and everything about these Art Deco buildings that really blows my socks off. Mm. It's not just the facade, but, you know, for, I guess, tourism, maybe they walk around and look yeah. at Deco facades. For me, it just seems like a bit of a cheap compromise. But, um, yeah, you know, I've seen at least um, five or six pre-Deco yeah. buildings be demolished yeah. here in Napier which yeah. for me is a massive lo loss of architectural heritage um, and you see these glass and metal structures which to me are just ridiculous with glass um, awnings going out over the footpaths and I mean you know the Wellington recent Wellington earthquakes mm -hmm. where um, all down Lambton Quay those glass awnings that come out over the um, footpaths were breaking and falling everywhere and creating a massive hazard and all the high-rise buildings all the windows breaking and stuff and falling down on the the sidewalk well how come you're still allowed to demolish a building that survived the biggest earthquake in New Zealand history the 1931 earthquake in Napier and build a glass and metal structure with glass awnings coming out over the sidewalk mm. it does not make sense to me so people saying that modern architecture is in some cases like possibly um, more um, safer in earthquakes but how the hell are you allowed to still put glass awnings out mm. over footpaths mm. I don't know that I'm not an architect, but basically I'm thinking, you know, that building that survived the 31 earthquake didn't come down. It's probably just as safe, if not safer, than what they've put there now. Yeah, yeah. But aside from that, and I do have some very evolved thoughts about it um, in terms of I think that, you know, we really need to create earthquake-safe zones within um, existing buildings and not demolish the entire building and rebuild something. I think there's ways of getting around it that are more cost effective and also create, you know, for example, the Hastings Opera House, which is a huge mm, deal, yeah, yeah. you know, which has been empty for, for years now and, and boarded up and, and surrounded. They just spent $16 million on a major renovation, including earthquake strengthening on that building. And they had to pass that up and yeah, and now they're going to have to spend another $50 million or something doing it. And they've decided they're going to do that, yeah. you know. So 
all credit to the Hastings City Council for doing that because it's a massive, massive undertaking for a city like Hastings, which is, sure. you know, a provincial city. It's not. It, it's creating all these problems, which actually ties in incredibly well to me being an artist and living in Napier. Mm. It's creating all these problems. We're losing everywhere, all around the country, we're losing this amazing heritage architecture, which in a lot of cases has been slightly undervalued and therefore creates cheap um, um, studio spaces. And the same thing in Auckland, the same thing in Wellington. We're seeing a lot of these buildings come down. And as soon as a building's up for earthquake strengthening and either A, the owner of the building has to invest heavily in the, in the earthquake mm. strengthening of that building or B, bring the building down and build something new on that site. There's no way they're going to rent space to an artist for like under 100 bucks a week. You know what I mean? And most artists can't afford to pay $250 a week for an office space in town. So what I'm seeing is, you know, one of the main reasons I moved to Napier is when I moved here, you could get cheap studio space. This studio space everywhere mm. now because of well partially because of these uh, of heritage buildings coming down but also because of the housing crisis we're getting so many people moving to Napier which is forcing the prices up every building now in town pretty much is under contract with either a development company or earmarked for development um, they're all getting renovated to you know earthquake strengthened turned into office spaces sitting there for months or years untenanted mm. but landlords still because of their investment want to a capitalize on that or b because of the steady steadily rising price of the real estate it's almost if you've got enough capital that you can leave your your building sitting there long enough and then sell it you're still making money so it's created this really weird situation where it's almost impossible for somebody like me to find a studio space mm. that's affordable in town that is slightly run down, that, you know, is just ideal. And so, like. It always struck me that Whanganui was, you know, a good place. Yeah. For, and that's why it has a good art scene. Well, it's um, exactly scene. right. Yeah, Whanganui is amazing. That, it has great, you know, the problem is you've got to live in Whanganui. It's a bit of a shitbox. Yeah, um, and also a lot of A lot of people's industrial. understanding of it is that it is, but, but there's cheap rent, there's yep. big spaces. Cool old villas. Cool places. Amazing industrial, like a lot yeah, of those yeah. um, warehouses are actually owned by a guy called Ross Mitchell. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know the, him. The yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I actually own some of his ceramics because I love his work. Yeah, same. I drink out of one of his coffee cups. Awesome. Tea yeah, cups every yeah. day. Yeah, I love his yeah. work. Um, I haven't actually had the pleasure of meeting him, but... Amazing guy. Yeah, right. Because he's done a lot for Whanganui in mm. the sense that... I was going to say, he, he gifted a lot of stuff didn't he and, and he was able creates to... like really cheap rents for artists exactly because yeah. yeah. he bought the buildings cheap enough yeah. and he wants to see the um, culture thrive in that area mm. now more people like that please oh, totally. in the world um, well this is where we're heading I think with with arts in general is that we require patrons we require yeah. A type of philanthropy within the arts. Um, yeah. You know, the people for a long time frowned on vanity publishing, but now you know it's about obviously you do your crowdfunding, you find your audience and all of that. But it's about people that have made money, that believe in the arts, mm. putting money back into it yep. for very modest gain, if anything. Well, it's for like really as a gift because they yeah. exactly a form of philanthropy, and that's where yeah. we're sort of heading overall, and you know yeah. have been for a while. But that's what it takes, you know. Well, like, actually, art is incredibly selfish. It is like creating is incredibly selfish. 
it's an, it's a, it is a selfish decision to decide to do that, but... Um, I actually think it's not. I actually think ultimately it, it breeds culture and cultural awareness. And completely agree with all of that. totally essential for a um, society to grow and develop in mm. a healthy way. Uh, I think we need arts funding, but now because of... Um, some of the legislation that's been brought in with the EQC um, at a governmental level and at a local governmental level, I think that councils and mm. the government as a whole need to actually take some of the onus and realise that we need to have state-funded art studios, which you see all around the world. Mm. Like, when I lived in Edinburgh, I had a studio which was um, called WASPs, but it stood for something else, but it was funded by Edinburgh City Council. It was an old industrial building that they basically had super cheap rent. It was all studio spaces. When I was in, in Key West, Florida, same thing. You know, you've got a council-funded uh, arts facility. Now here, we're sitting in my studio in um, the Art Deco part of Napier. Right across the car park, council-owned car park mm. from us is the Community Arts Centre, which does a great job. They have workshops here, etc., etc., etc. No studio space in there. Mm. You know, mm. it's not an artist-run space. It's mm. facilitated by the council. There are people that implement it, they work there, they get paid a wage, they do that, they have exhibitions there. It performs a really great sort of community function mm. for a lot of non-professional artists or hobby artists. Mm. Um, however, it doesn't actually help the fact that there are no studio spaces in Napier. Um, that's what I reckon we need. I think we and oh, maybe it's not the only city at all that's suffering from this. Don't problem. get me wrong. I'm 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 a big fan of the arts, and I'm sure you know that. Like I support them, but I'm just saying I do believe there there is a selfishness around making the decision to do it. Is all I mean. Mm. And so I, I I agree with what you're saying, and I think that you know yeah, funding needs to come in and in, in a way that is a little bit more across the board than yeah. people making applications and and people getting rubber stamped because of ticking the right boxes. Yeah, well, there's a lot of that that goes on in Creative New Zealand. And and I've never received funding from Creative New Zealand, yeah, ever, yeah. especially not when I needed it. Yeah. And now um, I'm not saying that I'll never apply again. No, but it creates a fuck you situation, Well, it, it created a yeah. situation where, I mean, when I was living in Wellington, I knew certain people that were receiving regularly every funding round, massive amounts of funding because they ticked the right boxes or whatever. And they're awesome people. There's a lot going to contemporary dance. Mm, There's a lot mm, going mm. to theatre. All these things that I highly respect. But when I'm living in a flatting situation and I'm really needing that, like even $2,000 would have been amazing yeah. for materials to yeah. put on the next show or whatever. And um, one of my flatmates is, is receiving $20,000 funding rounds every single round like oh, $60,000 a totally. year to tour a contemporary dance thing which I highly respect and I'm not yeah, yeah. saying that that's bad in any way but it felt to me like there was a huge disparity between the people that actually needed to get initially to get their work off the ground and people that were already established enough to appear to tick the right boxes for Creative oh, New Zealand to totally. receive massive amounts of funding. Yeah. You know, and I just oh, I wrote time. I wrote a series of um, blog posts, you know, years ago about taking Creative New Zealand to task for right. for the music funding side of things, for for continually funding these bands that were ultimately garbage. Now, okay, like you know, P or that sort of shit. Yeah. Now, that's my that's my opinion. It might be yours. <laughs> yes. It might be a few other people's. But the point was. 
they were receiving astronomical amounts for for fuck all in return. Right. So they were gaming the system because they were getting their friends to ring up radio stations over and over, and then they were able to say, "Look, we've got all this support," and it was phony. And right. so you had bands like, um, and then I, and and so anyway, I wrote wrote all this stuff, and Jane Wrightson, the CEO, actually asked to meet me for a coffee. Interesting. And so I met her. I didn't know her. I met her. She's a nice enough person. But um, I said to her, you know, something about, "Well, you've given fifty grand to James Reed to make a solo album," and she said, "Who's James Reed?" And I said. You know, I feel like you should know who he is if you've given him 50 grand. Yeah. Like, I, I know you personally haven't, but then in a way, you are the figurehead for this organization. So, in a way, you have, you know, like, and I, I feel like you should know who that is. He's the lead singer of The Feelers, and you've given a lot of funding to them. And he received this funding for an album, you know, I don't know how long ago it was at the time, but it was four or five years, you know. Right, right. He eventually did make good on this 50 grand that he got plus whatever else and he put it out and it sunk without a trace and no one gave a fuck about it well mm. that's a giant don't you think there are 10 artists that could have benefited that's what I'm saying that's a gi- and 5 grand and, and they and did change it they did change the system as a result of not because of what I did and said but around that time a whole lot of stuff was going on right. and they did change it and that's when they brought in the quick release grants where you can apply for you know five to six grand when you've got a work in progress and they cool. give you that amount of money now yep. to to help you on your way you're not expected to complete your project for that mm. or, or to start and complete it it's to help finish something off so mm. artists will apply for that for a tour that they're doing or to finish an album and they have already recorded stuff that they want to mix and master or you know whatever so rather than going here's 50 grand to make an album and then yeah. some dude goes to fucking Fiji two or three times and there's no trickle down and there's either. no yeah. Exactly, and there's nothing good comes from it. And it's not great for the listeners either, like no. me. You know, I'm a, a music fan. Um, I dabbled in music, as you've mentioned. Earlier. You're a, you're a musician. Yeah, you're well, a, we did play in a band you're, together. You're a, so I'm you're, a, you're, a, you're, a, you're an electric frontman yeah. for a, you know one one of um, one of Hawke's Bay's most. Um, <laughs> Album specifically focused covers band. Yeah, didn't we? Pl- didn't we play like nine tenths of Siamese Dream or something? I oh, think. we did actually at one stage. Yeah, no, it was a we lot played of just about every single track of it. There's a lot of grunge. Um, you know, that was back in the yeah, yeah, in the yeah. 90s and yes. we were right into grunge. Yes, it was stuff, era so. appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we had good fun. You know, playing um, the odd 21st and Wire yes, or something yeah. you know, or whatever. Um, I, actually, I think that was James Flynn on drums for that one. But what it, you know, we played like mm, the Clive Hall mm, and the Miami mm. Hall and stuff, and had some great fun. Yeah. Um, but you know, these days I'm mainly a music consumer in the sense that I'm yeah. a fan. Yeah. And going back to what you're talking about, um, individual artists receiving large amounts of funding. For me, I would much prefer to get, for example, more Wellington bands touring up here because they yeah. got five grand funding yeah. for their next national tour yeah. and coming and playing the Paisley stage so I can actually get to hear them yeah. other than whoever happens to be in their town and that's it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know I think that's it gives a young a, band from here a chance to rehearse for a gig to open for them exactly and, there's a, and, a major trickle down yeah, totally right the person down. in the audience goes away and starts a band because of it whatever it's you know? awesome yeah, and, yeah. and so I think that sort of model no, of, I agree. of spreading it a little bit more yeah. equally over across the spectrum yeah. seems to me to make more sense but yeah so they have taken those steps but I, but I, I mean your story is you know I've, I've often found uh, particularly from interviewing people that the people I most feel would deserve funding I find out oh yeah I just don't apply anymore you know I've applied heaps and I've never got it and yeah well and I've I, never I ever think, received it that's insane I've like, never received funding yeah. and especially not when I needed it and yeah. um 
And I even had like interviews with um, personnel at Creative New Zealand to try and work out what I was doing, what am wrong. I doing wrong. And yeah. they basically, I mean, I had this one guy who's, who really upset me, but he, he just goes, well, look out the window. We're on Lambton Key there and they're flash officers, you know, and, and I looked out the window and he goes, see all those people walking past? Does portraiture mean anything to them? Because it doesn't really mean anything oh, to me. Oh, does fucking barbecue reggae mean anything yeah, to anyone? You know, but they seem to find times to fund that. He's just basically telling me, and this yeah. is after I won the Portrait Awards and stuff, and before I worked for Tyker and Jermaine as well, interestingly enough, mm. but he had basically just told me that he didn't think portraiture was particularly worthy of getting mm. any funding, and, and if I wanted to do a show, maybe I should appeal to... You know the audience or whatever. I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe there's some validity to that, but at the same time, I was like, I actually completely disagree with you. Yeah, mate. yeah, you know, yeah, totally. Portrait, they're all people, and well, again, this is one of the tensions of funding for arts, though, isn't it? Is that you get people with calculators telling the artist what they need to be making right. in order for their calculations to Once, work and for their rubber stamps to yeah. go on the paper, and that's a fucking problem. It is know? a problem because it it cuts out the organic yeah. growth of, yes. of different movements yeah. and once something becomes institutionalized yes. it basically um it's like was it sid vicious said um the fans ruined punk or something there's some quote like that yeah. it's like punk was punk until it became mainstream yeah you know yeah, yeah. And, and there's there's definitely a lot of that well i would love to know and i'm not I hope I'm not being a jerk saying this, but I would love to know what the success of Lord has done for New Zealand music because that's the big talking point. Oh, it's right. so, so good for New Zealand music. Well, how? What's, right. it, what's it fucking done? You know, what has it done? She's done really well. Fine. I, I happen to not like her music, but yeah. I, I won't deny she hasn't done very well. That it's She's done incredibly It's well, amazing. It's, a, it's it, an yeah. absolute phenomenon. So yeah. I, can, I can separate my opinion of her finished work from the actual phenomenon that's occurred. I can't deny that. That's amazing. But has her work done it? Has the impact of her sales, her success done anything? No. Mm. You know, what's it fucking done? Nothing. Yeah. It's what, what has... You go and talk to people around the world about New Zealand music and you ask them about split ends, you know, or the clean... And you will find more music fans that that means more to, mm. that, it, that it's done something to, and yep. that it's meant something to them in terms of an association with this country. Because Lord could have come from anywhere. It's an amazing story that she came, was a schoolgirl in Auckland. But it's not specifically New Zealand, New Zealand but it music. it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. No, that's right. And it hasn't, yeah. and more importantly, it hasn't actually done anything for people from here right. to, in terms of, their, you know, you, yes, it generated a few annoying top 10 artists from New Zealand you now need to check out BuzzFeed listicles but what do they fucking do you know nothing mm. like because that you know once people have clicked on them they're, they're done yeah so I mean, you mentioned Tyker and Jermaine I want to get yeah. to that I want to get to your um what we did in the shadows yeah cool well I mean you know we might as well talk about that now mm. that was an, a really interesting um experience for me because I'll just um, as a slight aside, mm. but it, it links in quite well, is after I bought my house, I basically ran out of money and I got offered a job working on The Hobbit. Well, I was going to ask about that. I was going to yeah. say that must have come just first. As a scenic yeah. painter. So that yeah. happened before I worked yes. on What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. Now, that experience working on The Hobbit was probably the worst experience of my entire life right. ever. Yeah. It was horrible. Just hard, horrible work or... The whole, you, yes. the whole system, the whole structure <laughs> of it was basically based on bullying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I talked about leading by example previously in terms of, mm. you know, my tutors at art school. Well, you have people in um, 
that I was working for in The Hobbit is this woman, Catherine Lim, who is an unbelievable bully. She was the head of the painting department. Mm -hmm. So I got, um, you know, the other thing that they did is they brought in, John Key and Peter Jackson met up Mm. and they brought in this one day turnaround contract, which has actually now had a really negative effect in terms of um, a lot of contractors. So working in ports and Mm. um, airports and things like that. So basically it, it took away any kind of recourse to um, health insurance, or medical leave, um, pregnancy leave, or any responsibility for the mm. employer. So they could just come in and say, okay, you're fired. You're technically on a one-day contract. Mm. So the reason Peter Jackson wanted to bring that in, and they didn't have that in the Lord of the Rings, is because they wanted to employ people when they needed a big push for a set to get finished, mm-hmm. lay them all off, and dick them around, and then re-employ them again only when they needed to. So Previously, they couldn't do that because mm. you had to have a legally binding contract to work there as a contractor, you know. Mm-hmm. So that whole thing created this culture of fear within everyone who was working on that project that they were going to get fired the next it's day. The drop of the hat. And yeah. Catherine Lim would stomp around the paint department going, you know, I could just fire you. Do what you're told. You're not here to, you know, I mean, this is direct yeah. quotes from this yeah. bitch. Like, she turns around to me, like, I've got this... this thing is still I just think it's funny now but at the time it was actually quite upsetting I was painting all this all this polystyrene basically to make it look like stone for a dwarf mm. set mm. there's a scene where there's a big dwarf throne and everything and anyway we've got some idiot who's like above me um, who who's like doesn't actually really know that much about painting but he's he's employed there for some reason and he's like th- they're throwing blue ochre at these polystyrene blocks and stuff and splattering them and um Catherine turns up and she's like, so, what do you think? Oh, it looks pretty good. And I said, look, I'm sorry, Catherine. This just looks like polystyrene covered in house paint. It looks crap. It looks like shit, you know, and I care about painting. And I know, you know, like I, that's the reason I'm employed there is because mm. I fucking know how to paint and I know how to mix colors and I know how to do all that stuff. And, um, you know, and so she goes, she goes, what do you know about post-production, Freeman? And I said, well, I don't know much about post-production, Catherine, but I'm working um, you know, as a scenic artist on this film, so my opinion would be that we get this stuff looking as much like stone as we possibly can, so it needs less grading, lighting, post, whatever. She goes, you clearly just, you're not here to, um, what was that? So you're not here for, for your opinion. You're here to do what you're told. Just do what you're told and like let everyone else worry about post-production, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, so that pissed me off because I was like, well, you know, what sort of attitude is that? Yeah, might like, as well just student job search. Yeah, and she's like, you know, if you don't like that, I'll, I can fire you and oh, we'll get somebody else to do it and whatever. Mm. So she basically fired everyone that was any good at painting mm. because, mm. A, I think she was scared that in the hierarchical system that she would be usurped eventually somebody yeah. else would take her job. I didn't want her job. I just wanted to do a good job because I thought, well, I'm working on this cool film. It's going to be awesome. Um, so you got people like that. That whole, it was so toxic, mm-hmm. you know, and ultimately the quality... Um, was brought down majorly by having people like her in positions of power where she wasn't actually very good at painting at all she was just good at bullying people around and forcing them to work night shift and stuff that they didn't want and threatening Mm. to fire them you know so anyway long story short I went and saw the film afterwards and I mean I worked on heaps of different stuff on that I worked on elf sets I did lots of props I painted all these vines I had people working under me that I was teaching process and all this um, I was on $19.50 an hour 
because I got basically bullied into, and it was my fault effectively for signing that contract, but I'd moved from Napier there under the pretense that I had two years work. I had about $35 an hour on that film. She made me sign this contract and said, I will review it, you know, at some stage, whatever. I got like stages, I had a whole warehouse of people, 25 people were on the go-to guy where they go, well, how do we paint these vines, whatever, because I had no painting process, mm. you know? Um, and you know, I got people that are on 40 bucks now because they're obviously cleverer than me at negotiating a contract, you know, and they're, or they're you might, older. You might find out they've got lots of creative New Zealand funding too. Who knows, but they, they've got major tech breaks <laughs> yeah, and stuff, yeah, you know, yeah. for what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so after about, I don't know, five or six weeks work, about 200 people got fired. So I got fired, you know, just bought the production of, um, up, like of these vines that were doing a lot of set stuff. Um, from I think when we when I started at that warehouse, it was like we we're producing ten vines a day, and we're up to fifty vines a day, and I got all these people working under me, blah blah blah. Um, so she comes in instead of saying, "Hey, thanks for what you've done," she goes, "I just want you to know you're fired." You know, just it's just that whole culture was now. Was you mentioned watching the film. Was that an angry watch? Oh yeah. So I watched it. So sorry, I, do, mm. I digress. I watched the film, and that specific instance where I was, you know, basically told to not worry about these polystyrene blocks looking like stone well i don't know if there was something wrong with the post-production crew <laughs> or the lighting crew mm. or anything but dude i watched that movie and it still just looked like polystyrene covered in house paint i saw it for the first time i'm really sorry i saw the film for the first time just a couple of days ago right i never because i never had an interest in watching it yeah and now oscar's my son is into he went out to the weather cave so now he wants to see all the stuff so cool. it's fine so I thought great I'll experience it with him and fuck what a stupid film the plot that, is awful that, 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 uh, that, um, that looked really bad like it, looks, it looks like a shitty video game so now I get, I get that that's sort of where cinema started heading around that time so bad um, but it did look shit I can't say I isolated your work or any of the stuff that you did and, and well, I was always thought a crew. that that looked bad. It was yeah, always yeah, yeah. a crew work. No, I mean the crew things. that people yeah. were, you know, that you were yeah. involved with. But um, but I just thought the overall look of the Man, film. Man, when I looked, watched it, I, honestly, I had just had stupid. this sinking feeling yeah. in my heart and thought if only they'd had a visionary um, yeah. uh, crew of, um, you know, what would you call it, like paint department bosses mm, that mm. were actually there because they were really, really good at what they did and they cared deeply about the project and yeah. they actually wanted it to look good because I, I just didn't get that feeling from anyone. I mean, we were working it on It sounded like they wanted prison wardens. You know, people it was like that because yeah. the whole culture was, yeah. or it was really more based on we can hire and fire all these people yeah. and, and push stuff through that we need to. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were other major problems like Peter Jackson's like a saint, right? Okay, so my experience, I met the guy. Um, I wasn't allowed to address him by name. I wasn't even meant to look at him. My boss is telling me, don't look at him, whatever you do. He came up, been working on the set. So there's like 25 people have been working on the set for weeks and weeks and weeks to push it through. And it was a, it was an elf set. It was like a Lothlorien bit, which I did quite a bit of fake marbling on to make the polystyrene look like marble or whatever. Mm. And um, so anyway, we, right at the end of the set, everyone's been busting their nuts because they know that the cutoff is like the next day. Peter Jackson turns up and graces us with his presence. Turns up on a Segway, you know, like buzzing around the Segway, which in itself is kind of ridiculous to yeah, watch. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then. It's instantly something out of a mockumentary. <laughs> it's, it, it could have been. It's yeah. just quite yeah. funny, but at the time it was very serious. Yeah. Right? And um, so the set's all plumbed up with water. It's got a water feature running around it. So there's all these um, compressed air lines because we're still doing spray painting 
painting with um, and hoppers and and like water pipes and everything. It's quite a major plumbing operation. Mm -hmm. So so Peter Jackson turns up. He goes tries to ride around the set on a Segway, bumps into this major plumbing line. Yeah. Instead of getting off his Segway and just like being a real person and stepping off and walking around and walking up onto the set, he starts clicking his fingers. Everyone has to stop what they're doing, unplumb the entire set, you know, whilst he's standing there on his Segway so that he can just, <laughs> just buzz around the set. Yeah. Like way, way harder than yeah. actually just getting off your Segway, mate. <laughs> Buzzes around that set, says to one of the guys who's higher up in the production than me, um, oh, I don't like it. Um, and then that whole set gets trashed. It ends up in landfill. So the amount of wastage, time wastage, people's time wastage. Actual, actual wastage. material no, I can wastage. tell you that that set looked awesome, dude. Yeah. And then they'd hire another 100 people on a one-day contract, maybe have two weeks' work, and rush through a new set that, you know, so that's part of the reason the movie looks like crap yeah. because there was this awful culture of waste and... Um, and really bad time management yeah, from yeah. my perspective and heaps of people getting fucked around like I moved down there from Na I moved city mm. to work on this worked on it for six weeks got fired they called me back five weeks after that and I just told Catherine I've got better things to do you know um, so it was an interesting experience but ultimately so, not a very positive one no. for me and then your next I get where this is going is, <laughs> is that your next movie experience was completely uh, was the complete flip side complete of that, right? flip side like okay. you know after that so I worked on a couple of other movies yeah. as well Separation City was another one that oh, yeah. you mentioned my studio in, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. in Eva Street where yeah. they did quite a lot of filming well, was, I, I thought that was a dreadful film but yeah. um, the you know uh, plot my, yeah a mess of a film it was but, kind of like a but it had elements I loved um, Sam and Luke's score for it cool that was cool you know there was yeah. stuff about it but I yeah couldn't cope with that film no it was interesting it sort of felt like and I like a lot of what Tom Scott does obviously but yeah. that film no I think for me it felt like that film should have been a made for TV series yes. yeah. instead of yeah. a yeah a, a, a three three yeah. hour film but um, you know I, I actually had a really positive experience on that working as um, an art department they did mm -hmm. quite a bit of filming in my studio and I did a number of paintings for the movie and I met the amazing German actor Thomas Kretschmann oh, yeah. who was on King Kong but he's mm. also famous for his um, uh, Polanski for Schindler's List you know he's the mm. like mm. good German oh the pianist sorry mm. Mm. Um, the good German General who gives him a bit, um, Adrian Brody a bit of food and then stands there watching him play yeah, and yeah. then at the end he's like in the concentration there's a German that's Thomas Kretschmann amazing actor mm. and still a friend of mine to this day so mm. you know had some awesome stuff happen as a mm. result of that film um, but yeah the the best film I've ever worked on by a long shot because of the way that it was kind of structured were, was what we do in the shadows mm -hmm. so I just got a um, I'd sort of known Tyker and Jermaine and Brett McKenzie and those guys just from being in the being music in the, and yeah, art scene in Wellington yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're real down to earth dudes you know mm. they're just part of the scene and I mean they blow up really big it was awesome for them mm. um, so I got an email from Tyker I think just saying hey Freeman you know I've sort of kept up with a bit of the portrait work that you've been doing and we're making this quite kind of quirky vampire movie we don't have much of a budget but would you be interested in doing a series of I think originally he just said portrait drawings mm. so then I was like yeah cool I'm living up in Napier that'll be fun um, so I went down to Wellington met up with him 
and he's like okay dude you know basically we're running on a shoestring budget but if the film does well we'll we'll pay you better but we're offering I mean basically it's just materials costs mm. but I just thought man this is a great opportunity yeah, to pull out yeah. all the stops yeah. and he was like yeah man anything you can do for us you know if it's only some drawings or whatever just do that but ideally we want these 16th century style oil portraits mm. of of us in character as the vampires you know mm. so for me that was just like thing dream job I love 16th century portraiture mm. all of the um costuming was super awesome like the you know the deacon's costume all the the braiding like mm. the gilded braiding and buttons and um you know it's just like an awesome job yeah so i just went all out and produced five paintings for them and you know i mean i, I think I, I just did them at my studio up here and um in napier so i went down to wellington a couple of times got reference images from set um when they were actually filming which is also a quite interesting process seeing how they were doing it because um, they were doing that just in um, um, uh, Miramar by po Park Road Post, just mm. over the road. There's a warehouse set up, and um, it was super cool, man. You know, I'm I, like Tiger and Jermaine. They're they're just like, hey, man, let's sit down, and have a coffee. What do you think? Super down to earth, completely awesome to work with. Getting the best that they possibly could out of everyone that's working for them on the set because they're there leading by example. Mm. They're like and they're open about things like we're doing yeah. this on the cheap but yeah. if, if it takes off we're going to reward you yeah that's you know they're quite open about it rather than yeah. just whip, cracking a whip no man they were yeah. awesome you know and yeah. those guys at that stage were also incredibly incredibly famous like yeah. Jermaine yeah. incredibly famous off the back of the Flight of the Concords HBO mm. series and all that stuff yeah you know so yeah they've gone to Hollywood already they've yeah. been involved they're, yeah. they're getting offers they're doing you know they yeah Absolutely, and you know, and this little pet project, this quirky yeah. as fuck pet project, which which does blow up. It blows up massively, yeah. becomes a cult yeah. classic. And I mean, Jermaine told me actually in the sort of when we were just catching up talking about it, he goes, you know, we have actually been offered um, uh, to be bankrolled by a major film production company, but we've decided that we're going to go on the yeah. yeah, on this budget that we've sort of eat together. Um, because we want to have 100% creative control yeah. over the project and yeah. I think that's why it works, it works so <laughs> yeah. well yeah. you know but it was a really cool experience for me anyway because I got to do paintings that I was really excited yeah, about yeah, doing yeah. Um, the they were really into the paintings that I did so they actually ended up writing in a few extra scenes to feature them to like, feature yeah, them yeah. more I was going to say you, you get you get good exposure out of this I get film. awesome exposure out of the yeah, film yeah, they're yeah. a total pleasure to work with yeah. I actually because their budget wasn't that wasn't that big when they started um, they were happy for us to write up a contract saying that I actually owned the original paintings mm. that they owned the copyright and the, the, or I think I even still own the copyright but gave them permission to use the work in the film so like that's you can't get a fairer deal than that and yeah. often when you're working in film there's yeah, absolutely just, no you're way you're giving it away you give it yeah. away yeah. so they were super super awesome yeah. writing up this contract which was ultimately totally in my favour um, and then you know after the film blew up and became a big thing um, you know Jermaine's posting on his Instagram like if you want to buy prints you know look at Freeman White he's the artist that did it like you know mm -hmm. I got to credit in the mm -hmm. movie I mm -hmm. mean it's like awesome dudes yeah thanks like really thank you so much yeah. because 
I remember going it's to it. So much night, fun. I remember going to it the night that it opened, and you know, I wanted it. I always want every film experience to be good. Yeah. I went. I went. I went along to it, hoping it would be good, but thinking, you know, is this going to be a bit of a shark jump moment? And, yeah, yeah. And I fucking can't stand Reese Darby, so ah. I'm kind of like fuck, he's in it. That's what, and I have to say, it's probably the most I've enjoyed him in anything Hilarious. he's ever done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, also small amount, but very right. funny, but also just enough to not fuck me off because I don't like his, his presence. I don't know him as a person, but, but I, I, think I've, I've say, I think it's safe to say he and I won't meet. You know, like, yeah, no, he's with, actually a really nice guy. No I doubt, hang no doubt. With, about, with him a bit, no yeah. doubt. But uh, you know, so. I had a mixture of like really looking forward to it yep. but tempered with this could be a fucking bit of a car crash for me yep amazing film amazingly funny what? and it, being in that opening night audience wasn't a premiere or anything but just an opening night audience uh, it was like a really the audience felt bonded yeah it and was cool was I mean, such, I was... a, such a Kiwi humour such a yeah it was great so that was. I remember it. seeing your name in the credits. Yeah, I know, and that was and a buzz for me like, as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, I got a credit yeah. on um, Separation City too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously not on the Hobbit because it wasn't high yeah. up enough. But um, yeah, no, that was a super awesome, awesome project. And then you know, the offshoot of that as well was the New Zealand Portrait Gallery. Then after mm. that, contacted me and said we want to buy, you know, for our permanent collection. Yeah. The port, one of the portraits of Jermaine and one of them of Taika, which yeah. they've now got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Um, you know, and then I ended up selling a whole lot of prints um, uh, of the paintings, which, you know, I mean, Jermaine and Taika were both super, super relaxed about me doing that and actually encouraged yeah. me to do it what? because, you know... Here's wanted, how you make... Here's your Yeah, they wanted me to do well yeah. out of it as well, yeah. and obviously I've, I've done really well. Um, you know, it was just... You know, at the end of the day, it was just one of those projects that I was so inspired by their attitude and mm. their take on the whole thing that mm. it made me want to put 250% into the project which actually ended up benefiting me in the long run it's yeah, yeah. a really positive yeah. thing yeah. so um, you know I mean I think they're doing um, there's something in the pipeline for maybe a future project which I think after talking to Jermaine I probably shouldn't talk about it too much but um, I'm not sure whether or not they'll get me to do more paintings or they may end up using the same, the same ones again ones again and, and, and that's fine for you though that's totally good for me <laughs> that's going to work yeah, I'd yeah, love to yeah. work with them again yeah. um, on something if it can well they seem to have a, a thing too those guys work with the same people often because it's, oh, yeah, it's about sure. the whole yeah, relationship yeah. thing right like yeah. they, that, that's very clear that they work with a lot crew cast the works you know it's a lot yeah, exactly and that's how they get I think that's really how they get the best out of the crew whereas when yeah. you're looking at a production like The Hobbit uh, it's a massive there's thousands of people being employed on that it, it's actually a logistical nightmare I guess oh, if you're a in bit. production crew Fuck, or whatever. running that whole machine mm. it's 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 just a big ugly machine you know well, you're talking about literally the two different ends of the scale yeah because The Hobbit is like mm. a small work that's been stretched t- to breaking point in totally, terms of yeah, milk milked beyond what it should be in terms of being stretched out to three really long fucking films if you took all three films and yeah. edited them properly you'd probably get one okay film yeah, out of it yeah you know? so it's, so the scale is ridiculous whereas yeah. the, what we do in the shadows is a, a quirky little original story totally. on a shoestring budget yeah. or, or close enough to it yeah and you know so they're completely different worlds 
Yeah. To- so totally yeah. different. And you know that for me, like people talk about The Hobbit um, being a New Zealand film, and for me, it just doesn't even nah. have any of that quality. Whereas yeah. Shadows, the humour, I mean, it's just, yeah. it is, it's a great New Zealand film. Yeah. And it's not trying to be something that it's not. It's, it is, it's setting the precedent for something that. Well, arguably, Heavenly Creatures is the last New Zealand film Peter Jackson's made. Yeah, yeah. You know? No, I'd go along with that. Yeah. I mean, Lord of the Rings. Fri- Frighteners got... and Lord of the Rings have, yeah. have elements, but yeah. even those have been made to, yeah. they've been directly made to appeal and sell to an sure. international audience. I mean, Lord of the Rings for me has actually still got some of that grassroots feel. Of, and and the, they're using the landscapes to, yeah. it's like sans all that awful CGI stuff yeah, yeah. and it's just so much better and you know we can't I mean whether or not I like Peter Jackson um, it doesn't matter I think those films have actually done great things for New Zealand in well, terms totally, of they have. tourism of course they like, have. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. down in Glen Orkey a couple of weeks ago um, for a client because they flew me down there they're I'm painting big studio painting of Glen Orkey and I was down there also filming a um, a plain air painting documentary with my friend Andrew Tischler mm. who also does a um, podcast but he's on YouTube as An- Andrew Tischler he's an American painter he's moved to New Zealand recently so if anyone's interested I'll just put a plug in for, for Andrew Tischler straight away he's an amazing painter um, if you're interested in painting he does his YouTube videos are some of the most kind of comprehensive instructional videos I've ever seen on YouTube mm. And he's got a really interesting blog called The Creative Endeavour. But I was lucky enough to be down there painting with him, and he filmed the whole thing. So up on YouTube now um, on his channel is a sort of short documentary plein air painting film called Epic in Plein Air, where we paint with another artist, Sam Earp, who's from the UK but lives in Queenstown. Mm. We get down to Milford Sound. We paint in Glen Orkey. Um, we paint Mount Talbot. I mean... It's, it was just so much fun hanging out with those just, guys. Just quickly explain plein air painting and, and your connection to it because it's mm. you know I, I I know about it from seeing your Facebook feed right. and, it's, and it's all over there. But some people listening might be like, what what what's that and what the fuck? And so how did you get yeah, into call. that? And and what do you understand about it? You know what brought you to it? Yeah, and I mean, what do you get out of it? It's 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 something that I've actually only really been engaging with for about the last three or four years yeah. probably. And plein air painting is, is just the French term which has been adopted for this art movement. Yeah. But, um, it just means outside, painting outside. Plein Free air. of the studio. Yeah. Actually, it's like a, a real-time, real environment. Exactly. You yeah. set up your easel on site and you produce a study directly from life. So mm-hmm. it's 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 a pretty much the most direct working method that you could possibly imagine. Um, and, of course, it was popularised by the French Impressionists, so, you know, Monet working out his garden. Mm. I mean, everyone, even if you don't um, know a lot about art history, you've probably... That's it, you've seen that. the works without yeah. knowing yeah. the process, perhaps, yeah. So those guys, so Monet, we'll just use him as a, as a great example of a classic plein air, plein air painter. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, um, through postmodernism and everything, that type of painting became quite unpopular and kind of went out and... Um, now there's been a huge, huge international resurgence in plein air painting, mm. especially sort of spearheaded by American artists. So all across the States now, you've got plein air conventions. So, for example, you've got the Grand Canyon quick draw and um, paint out. You've got the Sedona um, plein air festival. You've got the um, Texas plein air. And they get probably less international artists, but more... That it's, it, they are international painting festivals, but you get like, I don't know, it depends on the scale of the festival. Like the Grand Canyon one is 
it gets about 60 artists who <clears throat> it's an invitational so you have to be invited to take part you paint for about four or five days then they have a massive um, reception and exhibition of the finished plein air studies where the works for sale and you get to meet all these other painters it's kind of like turned into this dream job idea mm. for me you know mm. and I actually started plein air painting because um, Lucy got me, my, my, my partner got me onto Instagram because she was like well, Freeman, you're a visual person. I think you really like Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So I put it on my phone, and then I and then I started following all these American painters and and British painters, and well, painters from all around the world, you know. And I just say, like, Instagram has actually revolutionised my practice mm. because it's made me realise that there are artists all around the world painting along similar lines to what I do, or painting like how I want to, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Artists will post up stuff about their practice. You know, there might be some guy um, working in California in a studio, and you can see that day what he's working on, and he might post a couple of different images of the process that he's going through working on this landscape painting. Or, you know, I mean, I was just super inspired seeing all these plain air painters in these amazing locations painting these paintings that to me just looked incredible. And I was like, how the hell did those, how did they do that? I'm just going to give it a shot, you know. And, you know, to be honest, it's actually really, um, once you get your head around it, there's a different working process because you, you have to work very quickly. You're, um, it's weather dependent, obviously mm. the light's changing everything. You know, I've discovered that painting moving waves is really bloody hard <laughs> and mm. stuff like that. Mm. But I just love it now. It's you mentioned the other day that um, you're still finding clouds. Yeah, I mean things that, that move. Yeah, yeah. Things that move are really hard to paint, especially if you're sort of. A lot of my process was based on painting from photographs, although um, my portraiture process was a little bit different because I'd usually start with a sitting, do a study, um, which is called an alla prima study. It's effectively just in one sitting, and then take photographs. So how long will that take? Like sort of three hour like, yeah, time yeah. frame. Yeah. Um, which is a similar sort of time frame for the plein air paintings. Most of the plein air paintings are small, sort of 20 by 25 centimetres um, and would take between two and three hours because effectively when you're sitting there on location, after about two or three hours, the light has changed so yes. dramatically yeah, that yeah. you may as well it's start It's a different thing, painting. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, you know, I've got these regrets that I, you know, in my youth when I lived in Germany and when I was in Florence and even yeah. when I lived in Edinburgh, I wasn't into plein air painting. Yeah. So I did hundreds of sketches, but I've, I've got to go back to all these places. Yeah, well, you, you said know. you wanted to go back and now you want to go back armed with a bit of a mission. <laughs> yeah, know, with to, my portable yeah, easel and yeah, do these paintings. And yeah. so now it's actually become a real part of my studio practice as well, where like, for example, I was down in Glen Orkey um, and Milford Sound producing plein air paintings which will be like colour studies. It's also like a way of familiarising yourself with the area. Um, so, so you build a connection, you know, when you're painting. And when you're painting the studio work, you've got all these um, memories that keep coming back of actually being on site and painting. So mm. it's completely different to painting from photographs um, and informs the studio practice a lot, I think, as well. And then, you know, last week I was up in um, Taranaki doing exactly the same thing. Mm. And I've got a big commission to paint a, a painting of the mountain up there. So I go up there for a few days, um, produce a couple of field studies effectively, plein air paintings, which the clients are now talking about wanting to own both of the plein air paintings, but still want the studio work. So, I mean, it's, I guess it's a way of producing stuff immediately. Yeah. But, 
more than it's like real life business cards but then yeah they they have a life of their own but they're actually a a physical embodiment of your memories of Mm. a place so Mm. i think you know i'm sort of reluctant i have part with some of them yeah Yeah, definitely i mean i have had an exhibition which is almost solely plein air paintings here at space gallery in Napier. yeah last year which was really successful so i've often thought this about i mean i know all the artists i know obviously have quite a bit of their own work stored or on their walls for various mm-hmm. reasons a lot of it is emotional it isn't because mm. they can't sell it or anything right. cool like that it's, yeah. it's for emotional reasons but i guess with plain air painting what you and these sort of studies what you're doing is yeah you're you're making in the end retrospectively it's a copy of a work that you get to hang on to yeah well it's, it's the yeah. initial kind of um, yeah catalytic sort of moment yes. of, of the work's inception i yeah. suppose but it's it, it, you know it's like the music artist with their demo tapes and you know it's like the, the rough demo sketch of a totally of a is song. exactly what it is yeah yeah um and i actually was when i was driving up to taranaki i was listening to national radio and um they've just released this uh, quite interesting prince album called oh yes yeah yeah the the piano um, and a microphone yeah 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 so they were demos around the time of purple rain yeah exactly and um they played Isn't that some great? it's awesome because yeah. what it actually you know it's funny that you bring that up about a demo sketch because as I was going up there in my car with all my plein air painting and I was listening to that and they're playing excerpts and it's just Prince sitting there on a piano Mm. and just singing like it was awesome it was very intimate because you kind of knew that they were just his sketches and I was kind of thinking and it like really set the scene for me to want to go and in a way do the same thing with my painting so um, Neil Finn's got some really good um, demos of you know some of his that that keep just sort of turning up bit by bit of some of the most famous songs you know wow. they released the demo of Don't Dream It's Over a while ago and the and the, the demo of so, Something So Strong which was wow. I think was was put to split ends you know at the end of the split ends it was sort of yep. uh, whether they recorded a version or not I'm not sure but there is a might be some of them on the de- on the sort of demo that's surfaced but you know it's kind of a different song it's got a it's got yeah, a, a sure. unique melody that's not there in the finished wow and it's great like i mean yeah. there's nothing wrong with the original song that we know it did very well but it's fascinating hearing it's so now. fascinating isn't it especially with, yeah. if you've got an active interest in yeah. you know, being formally playing in, in bands and stuff and you kind of understand a bit of the process but it gives you and it's like seeing yeah so the plain ears have got a little bit mm. of that it's like for me seeing an unfinished study as well by a great painter so like I had an experience like that when I was in Amsterdam years ago at the Van Gogh Armstrong Museum where they've got over 200 Van Gogh paintings on show and I walked into this side gallery which shows contemporaries of Van Gogh Um, so to give it sort of context that how radically different Van Gogh's work was to his kind of Victorian Edwardian sort of contemporary artist and there's one guy called Sir Lawrence Alma Tiedema who's also a Dutch painter of the same era who his work is so highly polished and he painted all these ancient Greek and Roman scenes and I mean he's a genius painter I love his work you know yeah super awesome but he had this unfinished painting of two nude women lying on a bed in kind of a slightly raunchy yeah. um, pose and apparently it was a commission that the client saw and, and, and thought was too risque so yeah. he never finished it so he never finished his painting kept it in his own private collection of the artist Alma Tiedema for years and then finally ended up in the Van Gogh Armstrong Museum but what I loved about that experience was 
before I read the caption of who it was by or anything, I thought, man, I've found this perfect balance between abstraction and realism. Yes, yeah. And it was because of his underpainting and his working process and parts of it were immaculately finished and parts of it were really, really loose. So that goes back into that idea of like the, yeah, yeah. the sketch. I, I actually wanted to ask you if, you know, you, talk, you talked about the horror show for you that was the Hobbit ordeal. Yeah. Have you had, obviously not similar, but... You just sort of mentioned it there with that painting being a bit too raunchy for for a client. Have right. you had, have you had commissioned portraits that the person feels that you've let them down or it hasn't oh yeah worked absolutely out? yeah how, what happens there and how does that exchange go and yeah, what do you learn from that and is it always difficult? Um, it's quite often difficult and I'll just come out and say it straight. I I like painting people that I admire. Yeah. So oftentimes commissions are mainly, well, often because you don't know the person really. Yes. That somebody's paying you to paint them so they have a certain expectation about how you're going to paint them. Yeah. And for me to paint a really honest portrait or something that I think is good, it has to actually ring true with my feelings about the person. So working in the context of being commissioned to paint somebody and pandering to their ego because they're paying yes. you to paint them <laughs> yeah. is actually really difficult yes. for me. Um, and I think some of the greatest society portrait painters like Singer Sargent, um, people like that, Whistler maybe, um, Rayburn, these painters have walked a delicate line of producing great authentic art that anyone who you don't need to know the person, you can mm -hmm. appreciate it as a work of art, mm. but also somehow telling you flattering yeah. the, viewer, the the subject enough for it to be in yes. the collection yeah? Yeah, yeah and for me I've never really really wanted to like remove all the wrinkles yeah. or you know you often get a husband who's like can you paint my wife like she looked when I met her and I mean that's an emotional response from them but actually that was 25 years ago and no I can't because I didn't meet your wife 25 years ago you know what I mean yeah, yeah. I'm painting her now and I have to paint the person that I see so like that working from life as part of the process of portrait painting is really an essential part of getting yes. to know that person yeah, so yeah. that's way of doing it but some cases I've had where um, I've painted portraits and I've actually thought no I don't actually really like or admire this person and I certainly don't want to flatter them in the portrait and that's been really difficult so I, I effectively have shied away from a lot of portrait commissions over the years but if you look around my studio now mm. you'll see portraits of people that I've painted because I like the person yeah. and I have and there's been no money involved and I yeah. really believe in portraiture and I love painting portraits but I often find when money gets involved it complicates the issue of painting or of my artistic vision as opposed to the well that's what I was saying with the funding this is the yeah. underlying tension of, of yeah. how to make the art sustainable isn't it yeah. is that money is required and as soon as that investment gets to talk more than just mm. front up with cash it becomes a problem because artistic integrity is instantly compromised I, I think it's, it's exemplified by portraiture for yes, me and, yeah, and it's one of the most like difficult yeah. um, areas to work in so uh, I certainly haven't given up on portrait painting but I, I mean for example I mean, recently I did take a commission to paint um, uh, Sandra Hazelhurst who's the first female mayor of Hastings mm. and she was recently elected as, as mayor of Hastings and it was a really interesting commission because they basically put out a tender process so I was one of 
the three or four different artists that put in a mm. quote mm. and um, luckily enough for me I guess I was the one that got the job um, but you know there was actually some social media backlash from some idiots um, complaining about them investing money in artwork as opposed to roading and shit like that yeah. I think there was a bit of misinformation put out there on one of these anti-council websites where some guy said that I got paid like an astronomical amount a ridiculous amount of money which yeah. to me would have been like I wish I got paid that much I'm not going to yeah. say how much I got paid I got paid um, well enough um, for me to take the job but and but at the end of the day what I, the reason I took the job was because they Hastings City have a collection dating back to the late 1800s of oil paintings of every successive mayor of Hastings. They're one of the only cities in New Zealand that has kept up this tradition. So Napier doesn't have that. Napier's got really bad faded photographs dating from (laughs) the 1960s of mayors and stuff. And they don't use um, um, the um, ratepayers' money to to do that for whatever reason. I think it's a shame. So in Hastings, you've got... um, Gottfried Lindauer, who people might be familiar with, he's mm. fam- most famous for his Māori portraits. Um, he painted the first six mares of, of Hastings. Then you've got a great portrait painter from the 1920s, Archibald Nicol, who was an amazing painter, also landscape painter. So they've got one of his paintings in the collection. They've got Peter McIntyre, who's famous as New Zealand's Second World War artist. Um, so you've got some, and you know, and the, and the list goes on. You've got some really heavy hitting painters in that collection, mm. and people that I've studied and admired. And so the sort of honour of being, um, you know, asked effectively or like getting the job mm. to sort of have my painting go into that collection was mm. was a real drawcard for me because I thought, man, you know, my painting's going to be hanging on the wall next to a Lindau painting they've basically revered, mm. you know, Lindau since I was younger and, well, Goldie probably much more than Lindau actually, to be completely honest, but it, it's, um, yeah, it felt good, you know, it felt like, okay, awesome, I've really got to step up because uh, there's big, sh- big boots to fill. So I, um, I sort of went over and above um, uh, what I may have done. I spent months pa- painting this portrait of Mayor Hazelhurst and um, repainted it a couple of times and I oh, got my head in a bit of a funk about it and then it ended up, um, she didn't see it at all and um, she only saw it at the unveiling and there was a big kind of Paul Fiddy and, and um, like Māori awesome cultural element as well um, and unveiling of the portrait and everything mm. and I'm standing there kind of shitting myself <laughs> thinking you know this yeah. painting's not only going to this collection but she's the mayor and if she doesn't like it what's her reaction going to yeah, be yeah, yeah. you know because it was pretty cool that she didn't want to see it but she was like you know so it's slightly yeah. edgy and um, when they unveiled it she just broke down in tears and she was like this is you know it was amazing so it was wow. really heartfelt reaction yeah, from yeah, her as well yeah. I, honestly but what a yeah what yeah, a butterflies like, in this kind of feeling it kind of couldn't have gone better for me in the sense yeah. that I had built this thing up to being a yes. massive deal and obviously it was but also well that's a sign you care about your work yeah so I wasn't going to let that painting out of my studio before it I felt was, like it was yeah. you know good enough and um, so luckily it was received really, po- you know, in a positive reception and everyone was really stoked about it. it and, and then um, it actually got really, really positive media response as well, except for, you know, you can't yeah. please everyone. No. I mean, the fact of the matter is, like, the, the amount of money they spend on roading and stuff, 
I think these people that were complaining have absolutely no idea just like about A, the, the tradition that was being upheld in terms of um, commissioning a painting, B, I've got two young kids and, I'm, and I need to make money too, you know, artists should be it's paid fairly, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a job, job. and um, C, actually what I got paid to paint that painting wouldn't even, you, you wouldn't even be able to dig up five metres of footpath, you yeah. know, and replace <laughs> the drainage in it, yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. it's just a drop in the hat, yeah. but, you know, I guess that was the only, the cool thing about that was, um, because I, I, I did see it on that forum, you know, because someone had told me about it. I thought, oh, how, how this one guy? About 35 people jumped on there and went, pull your head in, mate. You know, this painting's awesome. Yeah. And outlined all those points that I've yeah, just sort yeah, of yeah. touched on. And you need that. You need to, if you're going to experience the negative, any aspect of the negative backlash or something, you're implicated in it because you're the per- Even if they're not whinging about your work directly, they're moaning about the fact this work has happened yeah. and it gets back to you and yeah. you are involved in it because you did the fucking work. Yeah. You do need to see that validation sometimes of a bunch of people have got your back. Yeah, well, and, actually and that they back. understand yeah. the process and they've gone, fuck off. Yeah. It's not a huge amount of money in the scheme of things. It's yeah. all these things you've just outlined. It's really important, you know, if you're going to suffer the backlash of something in any way, it's, it's, it's important to, you know, for all these people that say, don't read the comments, don't read the comments. Yeah, I kind of wanted to read the comments, but then when read, I read them, I was just like, man, how's... I what, think what the default setting will always be that you will read the comments and then regret that you did. I think that's what actually yeah. happens. But saying don't read... <laughs> that's, you know, that's really how it works. But yeah. saying don't read the comments is not helpful because it just makes people go, oh, fuck, I better read the comments. <laughs> you know, that's but all in it a does. way, though, honestly, like when I read the comments and I saw this awesome backlash of people saying, mm. you know, pull your head in. But when I initially read, this was mainly one guy, I think, just trying to incite a bit of mm. anger. Um, pretty, pretty much, apparently... Um, Possibly tended for it and didn't get it. <laughs> no, apparently everything the council does is right. yeah, up yeah, on yeah, yeah. Like, he's one of them. That was my next text, just someone that's there yeah. to criticise the council. That's there to yeah. criticise, yeah. or just criticise anything. Yeah, yeah, wants yeah. to be a thorn on their side or whatever. And, yeah. you know, I mean, sometimes... Silly council, old critics. Yeah, you know, sometimes um, council, people need that, but I think sometimes... There are people that just yeah. go a little Well, a little information is dangerous. But what I thought, because this whole argument was that they're wasting the money yeah. at, um, commissioning an artwork that is going into the permanent collection of, of the city of Hastings. And I just kind of thought, what sort of world does this guy live in yeah. where roading and drainage or whatever that excuse was is more important to him than culture and art and you know, and that mm. being an important mm. part of um, what it is to have an identity to be part of Hastings District or Hawke's Bay, you know? Mm. I mean, for me, I was like, fuck, they can stop digging up the street, thanks, and, and commission more public sculptures. I mean, I'm on the almost completely opposite yeah, yeah, side yeah, of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Where, well, this is a no-brainer. It's yeah. awesome that they're commissioning artwork and that they've got this permanent collection and how cool is that? And other cities in New totally. Zealand should look at that and, and Hastings should be proud about it. Yeah. You know, but then it's sort of, I guess, you know, there's... It's a complete polar opposite to the side of that too. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, man, I actually feel sorry for you, dude, because... Mm-hmm. Like what sort of what, what sort of world? What what makes you happy? What mm. what raises it. you above the drudgery yeah. of, of of this kind of infrastructural um, maintenance that mm. they're doing around the, the city? And like, what makes you feel good to be part of the city that you live in? You know, or the place that you live, or yeah. identify the area? Yeah. And it is kind of just like well, obviously not paintings yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of the mayor. Well, yeah. maybe it's because it was of the mayor. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, she's the first female mayor of Hastings um, 
and, and, and I think Hastings was founded in 18... Yeah, that, yeah. I should actually know that. You it's should. Bad. 18... Anyway, late yeah. 1800s. Yeah. Um, so in the entire time period, yeah. she it's historical yeah, as well. I mean, it's yeah. awesome and totally yeah. deserves to be celebrated. And yeah. aside from that, she's actually proven to be a very good mayor um, and putting a lot more um, cultural emphasis on Māori culture yeah, and bringing good. that out within Hastings. And Like, when I was meeting with her and talking um, about, you know, because we did some drawings yeah. of life, and she came up here into the studio asked, you know, what, what is it that makes you want to be mayor? And she said, you know, there's politicians that get into it for, for ego, there's politicians. I want to be there because I honestly believe that I want to make the society better. And it's like, is this just coming yeah, through? Yeah, that's a good She's line. Just being, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, elected. But then she, she goes, so I said, well, what, you know, like there's always been this kind of tr- historic rivalry between Napier and Hastings. And although I'm a Napier-based artist, I was actually born in Hastings Hospital and I grew up in Hastings District and all that. And she's like, yeah, you, you know, you're a Hastings boy. You'll never be able to you know, yeah, escape yeah, yeah. that. I was like, well, I don't want to escape it. It's just part of who I am. But she, I said, what's the point of difference? She goes, you know, Hastings successive mayors and Hastings have been trying to up the Art Deco side of Hastings. And, you know, let's be honest, there's some beautiful Art Deco buildings in Hastings. She goes, I don't want to, I don't want to even go there. For me, it's the Māori population of Hastings that is the major difference between the demographic of the people that you'll meet in Hastings and the people mm. that you'll meet walking down the street in central Napier. And she's like, you know, we've got beautiful Art Deco buildings and all this thing, but I want to focus on that Māori culture as a point of difference, mm. like what they've done so successfully in Rotorua, you know, and yeah. obviously bringing tourists into Hastings. You know, a lot of tourists and people will come to Napier because it's by the sea and it's got the deco thing and, and whatever. She's like, that's fine. We don't want to take away from that, but we want the sort of people that want to go to Rotorua and experience Māori culture on that kind of yeah, level yeah. and bring that, bring them to Hastings. I just like... Still going to struggle though, aren't they? Rotorua's got Well, it's got all the elements. geothermal yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, well, like, commission all those amazing for Kairo, all those po outside the um, mm. Space City Art Gallery, um, the, the Hastings City Art Gallery. Sorry, um, I actually think Hastings has had to work a little bit harder than Napier. Oh, for so, sure. so for sure. actually, like in a lot of ways, that, culturally, maybe a little bit more on point now. That Hastings Art Gallery and area for so the library, that's great. Like, yeah. That's really come away the last few years. And, and, I completely and agree. Yeah. Whereas here we've got the old MTG, which is a bit yeah. of a white elephant. Yeah, yeah. I think kinda, personally that's a bit of a shame. But They botched that, right? That wasn't well received by yeah. the public. And um, it sort of maybe possibly was a little bit too exclusive because yes. it went from a public museum where you've to got... To pay a whole lot of money to... Yeah, to have to pay to get Now in, free and, again. Yeah. yeah. And now the Hastings... Uh, sorry, the Napier City Council have moved the library in there, which has helped them basically balance get, the books yeah, to make get, it free. Get traffic and so get it free. So you've yeah. lost a lot of actual exhibition area. Well, yeah. a lot of where the library is now is actually sort of behind the scenes of the archives and stuff in the MTG, which I've been in through and stuff mm. anyway. But, um, so I'm definitely not a critic of the MTG. Um, I just think that it, the model and the way that it was rebuilt didn't actually meet yeah. the demand of the public. Uh-huh. Whereas it seems like the Hastings City Art Gallery is really so on point in terms of yeah. 
curating exhibitions that appeal that, to the public. I was going to say that are relevant. And, yeah, yeah. The yeah. interesting thing about that is they... Not too exclusive at all, but still of a high standard, you know, not, yeah. not just slumming it and going, hey, we want people through the doors, yeah. but actually uh, being... They also don't really have much of a... Or, much, I say much of a permanent collection because here in Napier it was it used to be an educational resource for you know you yeah. and I would have gone there yeah. times as yeah. school groups and stuff and go in there and learn about the earthquake and look at the Māori carvings and and learn something about the um, you know Māori history and pre-European history yeah. of the area and stuff and I remember all that stuff you know it was great educational resource yeah. um, so with a large permanent collection of museum artifacts which now don't fit in there mm. um, but in a point of difference um, so a lot of their collections are over in a warehouse over in Ahuriri interestingly enough is not something a lot of people know is the um, Hastings City Art Gallery actually also own half of um, or almost half of the collections that have been on permanent exhibition right. here in Napier so but there's some sort of um, congruence between the two councils where they don't want to like Napier City Council aren't Mm. I don't know the ins and outs of it, so yeah, I could yeah, not say too yeah, much yeah, about yeah. it. But the fact is, in a way, it's actually freed Hastings City Art Gallery up right. a little bit to just have exhibition-based content as opposed to having permanent collections on, yeah. on display. So it's a slightly different model. Hey, you there's, know what I mean? there's quite a... Um, it strikes me that there's quite a lot of successful making a living out of artists in Hawke's Bay. Right, there's definitely a scene here. There's a real scene, yeah. isn't there? I think are you Are you quite connected to that scene, or are you... Oh, um, yeah, I know heaps of people yeah, around yeah. the area, I've, and yeah. um, um, artists, and, and I suppose, like, I'm definitely part of it. Um, they're... Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of people like Martin Popwell. Oh yeah, well I know Martin yeah, well, yeah. absolutely. I mean, he he Fane Floors, yeah, Martin Joe Fane and Joe yeah, Blog, and yeah. I mean you've got um, people that that um, uh, have been an active part of the scene for quite a while. Mm, mm. You know um, that I knew about when I was at, at school, even mm. and, and that are still um, actively. And Frizzell had a big presence here for. He really you know? did. Yeah. I mean, that was really cool when when Frizzell was living here. And I got to know him quite well too, and still count him as a I mean he was sort of like a mentor for yeah, me I guess yeah. um, I have huge respect for him and his practice because he's actually never been pigeonholed he's I was one say of the he... few artists that has been successful in his career but has been diverse in the production of he's, his work I feel like he yeah in a way he kind of cracked the code right yeah. because he's uh, he has he's um, he's got, a great landscape painter, he's got you know? he's got skills he's yeah. got uh, quirk yeah. he fronts up and does the commissioned work and to the to the point where he's quite shameless about about yeah. about going well fuck it this is yeah. a job well he he's did, done he's the whole merchandising stuff yeah now. yeah yeah I mean he's come under a bit of criticism yes. from people like that but then yeah. he'll pr- produce an amazing landscape show yeah. like he's currently got up at Gal Langsford yeah. and um I mean, that's what I mean. He's got all the answers because yeah, for everything, because yeah, he, he, he possibly deserves some of the criticism, but then he turns around and goes, "Well, here's this other shit I've been doing." Totally, he's and like, that's, that's what I mean. only one facet of what yes. I do. So if you don't yeah. like that, that's cool. But yeah. hey, I've got this thing over here that you yeah. probably like, and he does. He's he's really amazingly amazingly diverse within his practice, mm. and has been a real inspiration for me because, like, I do paint landscapes, I do paint portraits, I do murals as well. I was involved in. The Sea Walls Mules for Oceans Festival yeah. that was recently here, which is an international festival, and painted a 24 meter long great white shark, you know, down on Raffles Street yeah. here in Napier and stuff. And, um, you know, I used to um, do graffiti 
bombing and when I lived in Germany when I, you know in my, in my early 20s and stuff I was heavily influenced by that stuff so like I've always found that I think the mainstay of what I do now is probably landscape painting yes. because it, you know it's that's what I exhibit in the mm. in galleries and that people and sell so within that context I definitely want to feel like I'm progressing artistically but I've got all these other things that I do you know like I get bored of doing the same thing over and over sure. again but it, again, that's a smart move. You live in a place where the climate and the the whole notion of nature in the outdoors is celebrated. Oh, here is it's, great. It's yeah, tourism, it's great. but it's also yeah. celebrated by the locals. Yeah. So you are directly feeding into that, paying tribute to that, yeah. and able to take some commercial gain from it because it, it's... Mater- it's evocative for people oh, the so in people want oh, yeah. it you know so yeah yeah I think in New Zealand and, and yeah as a whole we're super lucky with the we were driving up last night we got to um, you know in between Waipawa and you know the lime works yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful night to drive up it was amazing weather the light was just perfect I looked across to the hills and they were kind of you know that golden green mm. and I said to Katie Look, it's like we're driving through a Freeman White Park. <laughs> obviously, I knew it's I was awesome. coming out to talk to you. Yeah, but, yeah cool, uh, cool. Which is why I put it firm. And we were listening to the front lawn, you know, oh, in the car. Nice. And yeah, it was yeah. just like this amazing Kiwi moment. Oh, that that's it was really like, cool. it was all, all these different things happening, all these influences, all these, and we couldn't escape it and we didn't want to, you know? I really like hearing that because I think, you know, I've had people say that sometimes now when they look at the peak for example because I've painted tomato peak a lot they think about my work and Mm. I mean it's awesome to think that in a way a painting which is effectively an object can Mm. actually evoke some kind of substantial Mm. um, emotive connection with a Mm. place and Mm. and that's what I you know that's probably the highest compliment that you could give a painter Mm. like me Mm. You know, because well, you, actually, you, you come up in my mind a lot with the peak because my parents lived directly under it. Yeah, sure. And, but before they lived there, um, I remember at high school, say fifth form or something, driving up to the peak and and having to try and sketch it for, for of all things a science class. Right. I think it was like you know a fucking broad study on erosion or something. Yeah, for sure. And we had to do a pencil sketch of it. Now I've already established I'm like the books the second worst artist in the world um, but you know I, I can remember doing this sketch and having mm. this sort of understanding of how hard it is to do this mm. made, made doubly hard by my you know inability but yes I've seen your stuff of the peak a lot so you know I identify with that and go you know well I was up there trying to do it once did yeah. a terrible job of it this guy's made it a big part of his life to do it. Yeah, there was actually a really cool little um, time lapse and short documentary film by Ed Davis, mm, who mm, probably I know Ed, Ed yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, yeah. And he's done some of the early Jacob yes. videos and stuff for the band, yeah. who also mates, uh, you know, like the local band, the awesome yeah. band, all mates um, of mine up here. And yeah, Ed did a, um, sh- a short film of me playing their painting up to Marta Peak, mm, mm. you know, which. Um, was on YouTube briefly, but I think he might have taken it down now or anything. But yeah, I mean, like it's it's been actually really positive for me moving to Hawke's Bay because of 
um, the incredible geography of the area yeah. and I, f- I feel like I'm super lucky but then you know going down to Glen Orkey a couple of weeks ago and um, then up to um, Taranaki just recently I'm mm. just continually blown away by yeah, how yeah, epic because yeah. I was like the winners in Taranaki I was thinking man this is amazing you've got this incredible coastline and then you've got the mountain and then you know the closer you get to the mountain the more alpine it becomes obviously and the foothills and crazy alpine scrub and and, and pangas and, and farmland and then you've got you know this incredible mm. black sand coastline surf beaches with little outlying volcanic islands and i mean it's what i imagine if i were european and I had said I always wanted to go to New Zealand. Yeah. It's exactly what I would well, have imagined yeah, that New Zealand th- was like. Another good thing you know? about this relatively central location is, you know, you're well primed for day trips or two-day trips or yeah, to go yeah. and do stuff, you know. Sure. You can pack the easel and go to Taupo. Oh, for sure. I do mean, something and then be back that night quite and, easily and, and have a completely different experience and outlook than you would ha- get here. That's very true, yeah. but also within the Hawke's Bay, which yes, is totally. quite, quite yeah. a large province, yes. um, I'm actually constantly discovering new yeah. views and new landscapes that I didn't, even though I grew yeah. up here, that I didn't even know existed. Well, there's some good hills just between Waipawa and the Limeworks. <laughs> there are. That's awesome. Sorry. Yeah, I, I have actually painted down there. Um, so you've got um, these larger commission things. You've got you've mentioned a couple of projects that are ongoing that you yeah. that you're in at the moment. Um, I'm just thinking we should probably wrap up for time. But yeah. um, what else is on the is on the easel? What else is on the focus for you for the? Yeah, I've just got a backlog of commissions that I've got to crack on with. Um, I'm planning to do a lot more plein air painting over the the summer, and I've mm, got a mm. friend of mine, Nicholas O'Leary, who's a um, based in Norway um, but he is originally from Gisborne, he's a Kiwi guy and we met once again through Instagram he actually messaged me a couple of years ago and said, oh my folks live in Gisborne I'm going to be back from Norway and um, I'm into plein air painting I'm into studio painting, do you want to catch up? I'm coming through Hawke's Bay and we just had it off man, Like he's like a brother from another mother, you know Like mm. we just connected straight away, same experiences at art school, all that mm. sort of stuff into similar stuff, now he's quite incredible because he's not very well known in New Zealand at all, mm. but he's making huge waves internationally, he just um, taught a plein air painting workshop at the Florence Academy of Sweden so that Florence Academy that I mm. mentioned, they've mm. got a branch in Sweden which is one of the most highly respected art schools in the, in the world for academic realism mm. So he's just been teaching there. He was in a figurative painting competition at the ARA in Boston, which is also in pretty major um, in the USA. They have a five-day figure painting competition. Mm. Mm. So, you know, like he's actually operating at a level that it would be almost the equivalent of a New Zealand sports person taking part in the um, Commonwealth Games or something mm. For, mm. for painting, mm. you know, or, or like an internet, you know, like... I mean, he's operating at a huge, at a high international level. He's actually currently, because I just caught up with his Instagram on, um, this morning, um, he's currently in Malta playing wow. air painting before wow. Wow. he comes back to New Zealand for mm. Christmas. So, mm. yeah, so he, he's coming down in December just before Christmas and we're planning a bit of a... Um, uh, a few days painting around the area so we're mainly just going to be around here in Hawke's Bay and then Andrew Tischler um, the American mm. painter that I mentioned who I was down in Glen Orkey with recently um, we're planning a follow up uh, video um, planning a painting video where we're going to base ourselves in Taupo Taupo and then we're going to we haven't quite got the um, 
exactly what I want to paint some thermal wonder stuff so we might go up to Araki Karako um, he's really keen to do the Tongariro crossing and do some paintings from um, the Alpine sort of viewpoints there so um, yeah really exciting stuff yeah, so it just sounds like lots and lots of painting which is what I have noticed over the, particularly the last four or five years yeah that you strike I mean everyone works differently I feel like I'm quite a prolific writer you strike me as a very prolific painter yeah well there's lots on the go and, yeah. and I think now like after having kids basically I'm in my studio less or the opportunity to be in here yeah. is less than so ever before you make it count when so you've got to make it count so I'm basically yeah. here nine to four at the moment um, five days a week I don't work on the weekends I won't be working on Monday it's a public holiday yeah. you know family time's super important and yeah. I don't want to be one of those dads that isn't there when in the formative yeah. years of their yeah. children's so that for me is really important um, so yeah it's like you say you have to make it count now yeah. I've got all this responsibility thrust on me where I'm the you know, I've got feet, mouths to feed and all yeah, that, and yeah. nappies to buy, and all and, the things that go. With and for every, you know, for you know, for every big commission or big payday that can come, yeah, that's got a stretch. Oh, totally. Because <laughs> for I mean, a long, so yeah. people hear, oh, they paid him this amount of money. Yeah. Yeah, but how long does that last for? You know, yeah. like, I mean, it's it, not a weekly. Yeah, I can see why it's so hard for people to make yeah. a living as an yeah. artist because not only do you have um, like gallery commissions are generally yes. around the 40% yeah. mark so any any painting you see on the wall um, you'd expect the gallery to be taking 40% cut of that then you've got um, obviously tax and GST some GST registered so you know there's, there's a lot of expenses involved um, but I'm lucky enough that I do a lot of um, private commission work for um, you know landowners and people that own property around um, the country and and slowly but surely more international interest and things like that so um, you got to diversify what you do and your income streams and stuff but man it just makes for an incredibly busy life when you chuck a couple of kids into the mix um, but you know obviously I wouldn't have it any other way I'm gonna quit you.